Welcome to the podcast. Click, pay, and download instantly. Brighten up those already bright mornings. Ollie and Lecter. Mornings at the Cabin. Oh, mornings at the Cabin, indeed. We've been elected with you on your Wednesday morning. Mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Aurora 4 Drive in the North. Hey, it's gotten warmer every morning. We've been here at 7 o'clock. On Monday, it was 7.3. Yesterday, it was 10.3. Today, 11.3. I think the computer might be broken. I think it's just saying uh, 0.3 for everything. Like, ah, it's around 11. So that's not bad. I think that's legit. It yeah. feels beautiful. Out no there. frost out there. What a beautiful night for baseball last night as well. I shouldn't say baseball. Slow pitch. And also what we play is not really slow pitch. <laughs> well, we, we, play a di- we play a different game where I think uh, the point is to miss the ball. Um, but we'll get into the slow pitch recap a little bit later on. A couple other things to talk about. 30th anniversary of uh, Nevermind, the album. And some interesting stories coming from that. Also, uh, something on the board that says, Best Regards. I don't know what that's about, but we'll get into that as well. It's election season as well, and uh, Captain Radio will have your federal election coverage coming up on the 20th of September. And uh, we're just turning off comments between here and then, because we all know what you feel about the liberal government. Hell, even us liberals feel it. I'm not really a liberal, but I did vote liberal in the last election. and um, I don't think you're supposed I, to say that in election you're not? season. Why? Ah, oh, that's history. right. You're not supposed to do any of that. Yeah. I can say who I voted for last time. I'm not saying who I voted for this time. I don't know. Can't you? Maybe. I think I think the whole point was that you're not allowed to say anything uh, endorsing or, or, or admonishing anybody now he, in the cycle. But did. I can say, like, I mean, I, vote, I voted, hmm. I voted uh, you know, I was a, a fan of Jean Christian back in uh, tw- 1993 because I met him. So I was like 11. I was like, hey, that's cool. You right? You. <laughs> he grabbed me by the throat and he threw me out of the way. Mornings at the cabin, the podcast. Let me go. <laughs> Mornings at the cabin. <laughs> we learned like with you on your Wednesday morning. Uh, 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 what does we have brought to you by Aurora Ford driving the north? I always forget about that last little bit. <laughs> the little run she does at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, just yeah. after the after the beat drops out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that little run. Smiley sugar body. Oh my god. Miley full of churros. Um, slow pitch recap. Uh, first game oh, of playoffs. That's where we're going. Okay. Oh, is that what? Is that I what didn't we're... know you were starting. Oh, what do you want to do? No, we can start off with slow pitch. Okay, recap. there you go. Let me. Uh, you I'll just give didn't you a tell second. me. You no, know? I don't. I never tell you. Three curveballs. That's right. All the time. Speaking of curveballs, it should be illegal to put backspin on your slow pitch pitch. No, um, that's silly. But you know, but like throwing it backhand, I hate that. Hate it. I've been wanting to figure out how to do that. Just throw it with the back of your hand. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I've never tried it before. I've never practiced it. So oh, get out of here. So if we do that, is that a commercial flame? <laughs> Why don't we just have that music recorded? Um, so if we actually do this again next year, which right now I'm uh, completely on the fence, um, we're practicing before we start. We did practice. We're practicing more, like way we more. We practiced like way, twice. Way more. <laughs> Yeah, once before the season and once like when the season was three quarters over. See, practice is a two-way street, Jesse, because not only do you need to huh? schedule and set a practice time, yeah. people need to then show up oh, for the practice. That therein lies too much work. the real challenge. Yeah. Uh, so first game of the playoffs last night, we played uh, Quit Your Pitching, who added a, a whole slew of players. I think we added three. 
uh, one of which showed up last night and then promptly left before the game started. So um, we were we had a pretty good. She knew we didn't have a chance. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, she look looked at this at, team. Yeah, she looked at them like practicing throwing at each other, and then she was like, "Oh, well, this is." Uh, I'm gonna go home. Um, <laughs> Life's too short. Life's too short for this. Uh, so uh, we played quit your pitch, and um, we had a pretty good lineup last night. Like I only got to bat twice. Yeah, in a five inning game, which sucks. Yeah, I'm sorry, like that. that sucks. I like I want people to show up, but I mean I don't want like 18 people there. Like I, whatever. Like us 12. That's all you need. I know you have one poor at bats, and then yeah, you you're know, just like oh, just there's my like, night. Yeah, I mean I got a base both times. Whatever. Yeah, I mean slow me. pitch. I should be like knocking dingers. Um, so I was hoping for you. That's what he did. I mean, last I was I, right, and I was. I just I felt awkward at the plate uh, last night. I don't know why. Um, so we played our first game. We didn't win, of course. It's a double knockout tournament, so all we got to do is lose two. We play against tonight at six. I hate that. I hate that we play at six. Like, stop doing that slow pitch association. Like, other people don't have like government jobs. Like, and they they work until after five. So stop doing. That. Yeah, but your life revolves around slow pitch. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So, I mean, also, if, even 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 people who get off at five, don't mean it's like they got to go home and like scarf a scarf a mac and cheese and get to the 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 slow pitch pitch. Like, come on, give me a break. You just shove a pizza pop down your gullet. Just make it six thirty. Head out there. Six thirty and eight. No nine. No nine o'clock games. It's also stupid. Nine six, o'clock games. Six o'clock game. You can easily eat after the game. I guess. Just have a little snack. Just have a big lunch. Have some <laughs> cinnamon toast crunch churros. Oh my god! And scarf those go. down. Oh my god! Yeah. Belly full of those running around second. Yeah. Ooh wee! Smack the ball into into the outfield. Um. <laughs> Did not have a good game. We started off okay. We started off uh, pretty okay, actually. And then, you know, once again, our defense let us down. And um, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Like, we don't have, like, our, our defense. Like, we were in the game. And then we had that one inning where they scored six runs because we Did couldn't. Did they score a six? They no, they scored us? five. Oh, okay. Scored five. Sorry. Yeah. But, I mean, they Close scored enough. five one inning and three the inning before. And it was, like, 11-5. And yeah. that's what the final score was. And, and like, then our, we were in that game. And our bats just went to sleep. Our bats did the wrong sleep time. So I mean, some practice needs to be done, and I mean, it, I don't, you know, begrudge anybody. It's a hard game to play. Like it's like catching and throwing is hard. As as uh, as many people are probably going to snicker at that. It is hard to catch and throw a ball. It is, uh, and it's something that if you don't really learn, like when you're a kid, it may not be something you can pick up very well. You know. So you're saying practice? I'm just saying practice. Practice doesn't make perfect, but we're talking fundamentals. About Fun- In the middle of the playoffs. Yeah, practice is fundamental. Yeah. Jeez. So anyway, right. well, we still have a chance. Eleven five to quit your pitching. We're playing Harley's tonight. Uh, we have beat them, but they've also beaten us. Yeah. So it's quite up in the air. And I, I mean, a lot of teams in D division. If I if I was managing a D division team, I'd be just like any any team, any player that's in A division. I'm just like, just come come play for us. You know what I mean? And that's what I think a lot of teams are going to do. Well, we so tried, they make and then neither of them showed up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So none of them showed up. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, very good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> one was on a date, so that's a good excuse. One, that's not a good excuse. Yeah, that's a good excuse. A date? If it turns out well. Oh, I'm sorry. Are they 13? Like, going on a date. Give me a break. Um, I'm going to go on a date. It's like you can't go on a date after 730? Give me a break. Not if it's the person of your dreams. Oh, God. Which oh. it might have been. It may have been. That might have been the biggest success of the night. We that, don't know. I hope so. We'll I hope have so. to find out. So who went on the date? One of our new recruits. Oh, okay. Well, I, I hope you had a great date. Mm. Actually, I don't. You didn't show up for our game. I hope it just. <laughs> I hope you got torpedoed. I hope it, it didn't work out for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I mean, I I don't like that as an excuse, but at the same time, I mean, you can't argue with it. I got a date. 
got a hot date. It's like, oh, God, whatever. It's better than, well, I got to work. Yeah, it's kind of excuses that. Well, I mean, I worked till six. What do you want me to do? I, work I left every day. work early. Yeah, you work every day. A date's a, date's a special thing. Mm. Doesn't happen every day. I, I guess. And maybe it does, depending yeah. on who you are. Ugh. Um, play again tonight. If we lose tonight, we're out. But I think Gibbons and Emily Blake can both play for us tonight. Well, beautiful. Yeah, I don't think they will. So, but um, you know, so now we'll get one at bat. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Great, great. <laughs> well, I'm hoping we have like twelve or thirteen tonight. We know no Brax. She's out of town. Sibs was there last night. We had a pretty good lineup. We did. It was it was nice having like the whole crew out. It is just <laughs> frustrating when you when you skirt by all season. Nicole and, you know, is booing me right now. She's oh. a boo you grumpy Gus. I am not grumpy. Uh-oh. I'm not grumpy. Uh, I think she's she's uh, she's calling me grumpy because I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, against love. Ah, right? Yes, yes. Probably because they were yeah. on a date. Yeah. I'm just joking. I hope it worked out for them. I hope they get married and have all kinds of puppies. I hope they had more success than and we, we did. did. Yeah, that's right. I hope someone didn't score 11 runs on you. <laughs> or did, however you wanted that date to go. I mean, yeah, it's it's not as cut and dry as baseball. You that's know? right. It's, but uh, if it did go really well, like really, really well, I hope you didn't lose 11-5. You know. Hope at least, I don't know. A tie game. Maybe it hit a double or something. <laughs> a double. That's right. We don't want to get into the baseball dating. Well, if it's slow pitch, analogies. I hope you, I hope you walked in four straight pitches and made it to second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another slow pitch recap tomorrow because we play tonight, and we will either be moving on to another game in which we could lose and get out, or we'll be out, and that'll be it for the slow pitch season in 2021. And we'll look forward to the next season with all the work we have to do. The Mornings at the Cabin podcast was recorded before a sort of live, thankfully not in the studio, audience. Mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Aurora Ford Driving the North. It's uh, near the 30th anniversary of, uh, uh, of never mind, their Nirverner album. Good Lord. Nirverner. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Nirverner. Oh, my God. Those memes will never die. Um, <laughs> now, if you uh, recall, the cover of Nevermind has a tiny little baby on it swimming towards a dollar bill. It denotes, um, I don't know, Kurt Cobain's innocence and his, like, strive to make money in, in a pool while he's drowning. Well, and then fans, he can get hooked. Is he like? Is that what it's about? Fans have traditionally seen it as a satirical uh-huh. comment, as in like that from birth we're chasing dollars. Nirv- that Nirvana was, yeah, this innocent little punk band that yeah. all of a sudden got signed to a major oh, label, very good, and are chasing that. Money I like now. it. Yeah. I like that now. And I mean, it's even something that I, when I first saw it, I was like, "Hey, there's a there's a baby on there, and that's that's cute." And his little dinger's out. It's, it's a baby dinger. It's a little baby dinger. And <laughs> so, I mean, for 30 years, the guy's name is Spencer Eldon, right? This is the kid on the on the cover. Right. Kid, his parents gave permission for them to do it. I'm sure they were compensated at the time. Becomes one of the biggest albums of all time. I mean, this kid, <laughs> this 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 kid has been like. Like people can literally for his entire life be like, I've seen your dinger. Um, people wear t-shirts yeah, with his dinger on with it. With his dinger on it. I think he even got a tattoo of it on his body somewhere. You might be right. Of his dinger. Like, he's been featured a couple times in like Rolling Stone magazine yeah. for like the 20th anniversary. He's, like and, he has, um, em- he embraced it fully for yeah. most of his life. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what comes 2016, out? they did a recreated yeah. cover with him, with him. now. Yeah, as, no dinger. Yeah, no dinger. No dinger. I don't think there was a dinger. I don't think so. I think he was wearing a Speedo or something like that. 
<laughs> or it was, you know, pixelated out or whatever. Well, um, nearing the 30th anniversary, we, we heard that this this morning. At, uh, I saw it on BBC first, so I'll just go from the BBC story. Um, he is suing Nirvana over that cover alleging sexual exploitation. The cover depicts, of course, Eldon is a four-month-old in the swimming pool grasping for a dollar bill that's being dangled in front of him on a fishing line. Now 30, Eldon says his parents never signed a release. Okay. Authorizing the use of this image on the album. Okay, but why not sue then? Then why didn't his parents sue? I guess he also alleges the nude image constitutes child pornography. That's a stretch. That's a big old yeah. stretch. Um, according to his lawyer, the images exposed Spencer's intimate body part and lasciviously displayed Spencer's genitals, genitals, uh, from the time he was an infant to the present day. I mean, lasciviously, really? I don't so, know I mean, what that means. Is, so I can't comment on that. Uh, bad. Yeah, right. Non-sexualized photos of infants are generally not considered uh, child pornography under U.S. law. So he is, uh, however, Eldon's lawyer, Robert Y. Lewis, as in, why are you filing this, argues that the inclusion of the dollar bill, which was superimposed after the photograph was taken, makes the minor seem like a sex worker. I don't think that's the case. So this uh, this seems a little, uh, little more than frivolous. Obviously, this is a story because this is one of the most famous album covers of all time. Yeah. And one of the biggest albums of all time from one of the biggest bands of all time. Um, uh, the legal Coming case. up on the 30th anniversary. Right. So obviously it's getting all that renewed exactly. attention. Exactly. Renewed attention. It's one of the top 500 albums of all time. Like it's, this is an uber famous album with an uber famous cover. And this kid, this guy has basically kind of embraced it for his whole life. Um, now the legal case also alleges that Nirvana had promised to cover Eldon's genitals with a sticker but the agreement was not upheld now i have seen that cover with that sticker on it with a sticker on it like oh, some okay. some places just like the just, smiley face the smiley face exactly yeah. so, like the nirvana smiley face right uh so some some places had it i've seen it on like the on a on a uh a record like a vinyl pressing um the the cover of the vinyl pressing having having that sticker on it yeah you know so some people objected because you know they, they think any like a picture of a, a baby there's like, something weird and yeah. I mean, like, it's weird, but I mean, it's like it's, it and... it's in keeping with Nirvana's weirdness, really. I mean, it's it's a weird thing. I think it's just the the, the commercial nature, of, of course. Yeah, like buying a, a piece of, of of music, of art, and there and there's a, a dinger. Uh, I remember actually, like you know, I can't remember how old I was, probably like ten years old or mm-hmm. something like that, and being in a in a music store might have been Sam the Record Man. Ooh, yeah, that's a throwback, no doubt. And uh, I remember it was the situation where my mom was like, "You can you pick out one, <laughs> one CD, yeah, that you want to buy." And uh, and I was already in love with this album. Yes. And uh, and, and I, I, a friend of mine had lent had like given me his like just bashed up copy of, of course. It. I, I you know wore it out, and so I was just like, I want to buy a new copy. Yeah. Of, of Nevermind. And so I went and I was just like, oh, yeah, right. There's a dinger on this. <laughs> and yeah. so I brought it up to my mom. And I was like, is, uh, is, this, is this okay? Is and okay? I was like really apprehensive about, yeah. yeah, like asking her if she would like buy this album for me. Yeah. So I was like, it's got a, a dinger on it. It's got a dinger on it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I yeah. feel kind of weird about it. Yeah, but, fair enough. Uh, and she was like, no, it's fine. I mean, it's all totally straight, but I mean, it's not a It's sexu- a baby. It's not a sexualized image. Right? No, exactly. So it's, it's just like, it's a baby. Like, yeah. we, we see pictures of babies all the time. Yeah. I get, just pick my mother, you know, the old family album, <laughs> dingers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Digger City. Digger City. Um, Elton Legends, the, uh, his true identity and legal name are forever tied to the commercial sexual exploitation he experienced as a minor, which has been uh, distributed and sold worldwide from the time he was a baby to the present day. Now, 
I can't, you can't argue. I mean, if he feels that way, you can't argue with that. Right. But at the same time, it's 30 years. You're doing it now. It sounds like he's in financial he, distress, uh, according to the story. And, um, but he said he's like, he suffered and will continue to suffer lifelong damages. I, I mean, I can't, you, you can't argue with how he's feeling about it. If that's right. how he feels, then that's the way it is. Yeah. But like, you've and, kind and of, if he feels that way, it sucks. Yeah, it but. sucks. But you've embraced this your entire, and here's the picture of him recreating the album cover. Right. Like he's got some shorts on, but he's recreating the album cover. Obviously he's leaned into this probably his entire life. He's probably, I mean, you kind of have to, you right? kind of have to. You and know, I mean, at like, some point you've probably tried to exploit it yourself. Now exploit sounds like a bad word, but like tried to, you know. Gain some notoriety from it. Right. Right? Now, so he's I mean, asking. Yeah, it's you in the picture. Right. Like, it's you in the you picture. Know, I'm the, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I'd be at a, you know, I, I'd be in line at a club and be like, hey, you, you like Nirvana? You're like, yeah, I like Nirvana. What do you yeah. think of that baby? What do you think of that Nevermind album? It's a pretty good album. You know that baby on the front? <laughs> pretty good looking baby. Yeah. That's me. That's <laughs> me. I'm like, how do you identify yourself? You can't really. Um, yeah. He said, he did say, and, and so, like, I, I don't know, you know, what his right. personal situation is like. I hope he's not, like you, like you say, hope, maybe well, in mean, distress or anything like that. But maybe but that's, it, I mean, that's where it gets to, right? Well, and this, and the, the, the language in the lawsuit is yeah. such a, you know, a, a kind of a sharp turn that it does sound more like per, perhaps an opportunistic lawyer. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, go shoot and, your shot, uh, I guess. Yeah. Shoot your shot. He's he asking did, for damages. Sorry, go ahead. He did say in a 2016 article, yeah. uh, he said, quote, it's cool but weird to be part of something I so important that. that I don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, I went on to say, uh, what if I, uh, recently I've been thinking, what if I wasn't okay with my, my freaking dinger being shown to everybody? Yeah. I didn't really have a choice. Because hmm. obviously you're four months old. Yeah. yeah. Like exactly. if, you, if your parents decide, yeah, you, you can use our baby as a model. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, you didn't have a choice, and all of a sudden, this this album has sold, you know, like ten plus million copies worldwide by yeah. the time you are, you know, two years old. Yes, yeah. you know, like more than that. That's yeah. a, that's a very modest estimate of how much it had sold by then. So it is. Uh, so I, I, yeah, it does sound like perhaps uh, a opportunistic lawyer maybe has, uh, has has gotten in his ear, but at the same time. And there's a there's another quote later in this article from uh, uh, Robert Fisher. Yeah. Who? Sorry, actually, no. Uh, Robert Fisher designed the cover. That's okay. The name of the person who designed. Yeah. Uh, the name of the person who shot the image. His mm-hmm. name is Kirk Weddle. Yeah. And he said in 2019 he's still in contact with Spencer. Yeah. And said I used to think, man, when that kid is 16, he's gonna hate my guts, but he doesn't. But he's conflicted about the picture. He yeah. feels that everybody made money off of it and he didn't. Okay. I think he deserves something, okay. but it's always the record labels that make the money. Fair enough. So, okay. So maybe, maybe this is a situation where he's talked with everybody and they're like, yeah, you deserve to make money. I'm not going to give it to you, but you deserve to make something. And he yeah. goes, you know what? I talked to Dave Grohl and I talked to Kurt Weddle and they all think I should make money. Yeah. Let's go for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the child pornography thing is. It's the angle a, a bit over well, and above. It's, it's that thing where you got to throw everything at the wall, yeah. see what sticks. Right. So it's like you ask for 40 million bucks yeah. and maybe you get a million and it's like, great. Right. Um, so but it's similar to the, uh, right. to the, the Pink Floyd, uh, the kids in the wall. Yes. A lot of them didn't get yeah, uh, yeah. paid appropriately for, you know, the, the massive success that al- that album has. And, you know, you just yeah. think of the, the number of ears that 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 they're singing has. Has gone into, of course, and they have not been uh, been paid appropriately for that. So they filed a lawsuit years ago against Pink Floyd. I feel like this is kind of a similar type yeah. situation. It's Fair just enough. you have not gotten 
uh, compensated appropriately for yeah. the 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 like what your image has brought to the yeah, whole yeah. entire cultural impact of yeah. The and album. I mean, it is yeah. It's a, there is cultural impact to the to the album cover. Everybody knows the album cover. Yeah. So he's taken damages of at least one hundred fifty thousand for each of the fifty uh, uh, fifteen defendants, including uh, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic. Uh, Novoselic, Novoselic, something like that. Uh, managers of Kurt Cobain's estate, Cobain's former wife, Courtney Love, and of course, phot- photographer Kurt Weddle. Uh, yeah, shoot your shot, man. Um, you got me kind of turned around on this whole thing. At the same I time, know, it, the seems same, a, yeah. it does seem a little opportunistic. And yeah. I mean, if he's, but if, he, if he's been conflicted about it, and then like, you know, he, he, what he says is he feels like part of his human rights were revoked because, man, everybody at this baseball game that he was at has probably seen my little baby penis. Uh, it's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I okay. so I'm I feel I'm the same way. I I completely by the end of it was like Yeah, just as we Well talk he it deserves out. something. Yeah. Like a lot more than what he probably has got. Yeah, other than you know, which is basically a couple magazine covers and yeah. you know, seeing your dinger on people's t shirts. But it sounds like Geffen Records sent the one year old uh, when, when he was one a platinum album and a teddy bear. So oh, wow. Well, well. You know You've been what? compensated enough. Uh, throw this lawsuit <laughs> out. Jeez. I got a teddy bear. Um, yeah, they'd been offered 200 bucks to take part in that. So that's what they were offered. Yeah. That's yeah. For an album that sold 30 million copies. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I started off being like, this is frivolous. And now I'm like, you know what? Get your money. Yeah. Get your money. Every else, everyone else has been paid on this album. Eh, A little baby dinger. You get paid too. get that money. Cabin radios, morning show podcast, all the best chat. None of the embarrassing mistakes. Mornings in the cabin brought to you by Aurora Ford driving the North. Um, as it sometimes happens, I come in on, uh, in the morning and there's something on the board that I have no idea what it's about and Lecter won't tell me until we start talking about it. So we're going to start talking about it. It says best regards on the board. Now, Lecter, the hell are you talking about? Well, let me start off right. by thanking my lovely fiance, Nicole. And fiance, my, congratulations. And my mother. <laughs> Your mom, congratulations. <laughs> Not congratulating them, thanking them. Oh, okay, great. For uh, my birthday present, which finally arrived. Oh, what was yesterday? It? What is it? A stand-up paddleboard. Hey, all right. Unbelievably stoked about. I don't I, think uh, I wish. You, no, I wish you happy birthday. You just didn't respond to the message. I think I don't think I responded to anyone's message this Great. year. Uh, yeah. very, you're very grateful. For no, I just uh, you know what? I just shut everyone out. Fair enough. For That's, what like. <laughs> That's what I like to do too. Uh, stand-up paddleboard, nice. Yeah, an inflatable stand-up paddleboard, which I I mean I've I've wanted one for for you know, years now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, so they, uh, they apparently went together in on it and, uh, yeah, it finally arrived in the mail yesterday. Um, and yeah, super happy with it. Opened it up, told Nicole, it's like, she's like, do you like it? I, like, I think it might be the best birthday gift I've ever received. Pretty nice. At which point she promptly reminded me that she once bought me a trip to New Zealand for my birthday. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah, that was, oh yeah, that, that was pretty good too. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, stand up paddleboard to get more use out of. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe on this thing a bunch of times. I've already I've forgotten been to New Zealand everything once. about New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> no, wonderful gift, though. Uh, very, very, nice. very happy with that. Uh, but we also got a, a second package uh, yesterday from Amazon. Not a gift for me, but uh, but not a gift for anyone, really. Just okay. a purchase we had made for, mm-hmm. uh, for the house. Uh, a couple reading lamps. Oh, very nice. And uh, reading lamps. So, full disclosure. You don't buy local. We get it. Um, it came from Amazon.com. <laughs> yeah. 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 
So yeah, Amazon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so we opened uh, them up. Really nice looking reading lamps. Uh, but there was like these three square cut out pieces of paper yeah. in them. One of them was just, you know, straight up like right. billing, uh, billing receipt, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And then the, other, the second one I looked at says, it's got a little present, uh, a little picture of a present and it says a gift for you. Yeah. And we're like, oh, okay. No, we, we bought these for ourselves, but so maybe Amazon is sending us a gift. So yeah. I expected it to say, you know, like, Here's a little $10 coupon for your next Amazon purchase or something like that. Yeah, yeah. A gift for you. Thank you for your order. For all questions about your product, best regards. Best regards questions. <laughs> First class customer satisfaction. Wow. From Edmonston store. Edmonston. Yeah. You know where Edmonston is? Or mm. what Edmonston I'm is? sure there's an Edmonston. Ed's- somewhere i meant to look it up i edmonston. didn't have my phone handy i thought at first that maybe they just misspelled edmonton no there's an edmonston really it's in new brunswick oh how about that is there a amazon there i don't know hmm. hmm anyway i just love that first of all it was not a gift and amazon was just like this must be a gift uh yeah. so yeah a gift for you <laughs> the, the best part Thank you for your order. For for all questions about your product, you're thinking it would be like, please refer to our customer service, you know, website here. Yeah. But no, for all questions about your product, best regards. Best regards. So basically what it's saying is if anything goes wrong, if you have any questions at all, <laughs> you're on your own. If these trends continue, hey, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> now, how is Edmondston spelt? Uh, E D M U N S T O N. Yeah, that's uh, well, Edmund Edmundston is in New Brunswick. It has a D in it, but I mean, you know, I think they just spelled Edmonton wrong because those labels were probably not printed in Edmonton. Although that your package was probably sorted in Edmonton because there are two sorting locations in Edmonton or a shipping location and a sorting location. It's hard to believe that people worked to the absolute bone for very little money would get something like that wrong. There's a third square of paper. Great. Does it say, please help us? We're trapped in the Edmonton sorting facility, and we have not had a bathroom break in the, six weeks. Pardon me. The Edmonston Sorry, sorting pardon, facility. Pardon me, Amazon. It is a Amazon gift receipt, and it says, send a thank you note. No. <laughs> to who? <laughs> to who? To Amazon? To Rick. <laughs> He's number 530 on the, uh, on the sorting line in the Edmonston sorting office. It follows by saying you can learn more about your gift or start a return here, too, because, yeah. I mean, we know how these things go, and yeah. you're probably going to want to return it. I feel like if that's going to come with every every Amazon order, at some point you're going to get one. Uh, please send a thank you note to Rick, who passed away standing up, sorting uh, sorting all your packages. In <laughs> lieu of sending a thank you, you can send money to his family to pay for his funeral expenses, because Amazon does not cover that. Mm. Um, I understand why... You know, we would order things from Amazon, but uh, at the same time, uh, you're evil. Um, Me? No, not you. Oh. Uh, maybe. Nicole? A little bit. No, not Nicole. Oh. Your mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's just, it's that's kind of the way it is. I mean, you got to order some stuff from Amazon. It's just way, you know. Well, now not only do you have to do that, if you do, you have to thank send, them for send it. Send, send them a thank, thank you, you note. note. That's what the money is for, yeah. Amazon. I'm not going to send you a thank you note. 
<laughs> Wasn't our service great? You yeah. can send us a thank you note. No. That'd be really, really nice. Send me a refund. <laughs> then, then I'll send you a thank you note. <laughs> Pay your people more. Then we'll send you thank you notes. How about that? And world hunger. And then we'll send you thank <laughs> you yeah. notes. Stop. Tell your boss to stop going into space for five seconds and maybe turn around and invest some of that money in their community. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I got a stand-up paddleboard. Right on. So happy. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Does, now, Best does, regards. Does Nicole, does Nicole have one? No. Well, she's going to need to get one. She can use mine. I mean, well, yeah, but I mean, you want to go out together. Well, that is what I said. I was yeah. thinking, well, now you're going to have to get one. You know that, And right? you're going to have to put Finney on it. And oh, <laughs> of course. That yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he, he's, he's good on paddleboards. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I've tried him out already. Oh, nice. Just chauffeur him around. Beautiful. Oh, he's, a, he's a little gentleman in the oh, front of the paddleboard. Nice. Yeah. I'd see how Betty does on one of those things. Um, well, I told you the story the first time we went out on those, and I I grabbed the I grabbed the wrong board and it didn't have a it didn't have a, a fin on the bottom. Oh, so my paddleboard was going so all just over the spinning. place, spinning all over the place like an yeah. idiot. Felt like we were crossing up from Jolliff Island to to, to Air Tindy area, and of course the twin otter starts going. I'm just like, uh, 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 <laughs> it fell right in the water, right in front of a twin otter, and the guy's just waiting there like I'm. Like I like I tripped at a red light. And he's just like, come on, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a twin otter horn before. Use the crosswalk, <laughs> you idiot. Put a fit on your board. Oh well, God, happy great. belated birthday and uh, good on you for getting a paddleboard. Great, great gift. Yeah. Men. Wonderful. All right. Absolute best regards. Um, mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> the Mornings at the Cabin podcast. I want to talk about this, uh, this bus thing that's going on in Hay River. Will Hay River students have a bus ride to school when school starts? On Friday morning, first of all, let's start off with this. Friday morning, really? You're starting school on a Friday morning? This Friday? In August. Like, what kind of torture are you trying to put these kids through? August 27th is when you're starting school, and you're starting it on a Friday. What's going on? I thought the school year, like, just always started, like, the the Thursday before September long weekend. So you nah, got like those first couple yeah. two days to kind of break in a yeah, little yeah. bit. You get the, you long, get the weekend, long weekend and then you, and you come back and ease into it. Yeah. It usually it was like, I don't remember starting on a Friday. I think it's because there's extra time that needed to be made up. So you just have that Friday that, that they're in school, but they're not really doing anything. Like, I mean, I, I don't imagine anything's going to happen on Friday other than like a little orientation. Like, here's what we're going to do this year. Now get out. I thought they made that time up. That's why the Betrico school was in it like right up until like Canada Day. I know. Jeez. Give these kids some breaks. No doubt. Goodness gracious. I mean, start on the 31st and then, yeah, and then have the Friday off, and then have the Monday off the following. And then there you go. I think that's like what it was when I was in school. It was like you start on like the Tuesday or Wednesday and then you have the long weekend. And I remember always kind of complaining about that too. It's like, why don't yeah, why don't we just go back in? Why don't after we just go back weekend? in after the long weekend? Because then you don't get the long weekend. Yeah. Right? And you got to get those yeah. sad holidays in there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, none of the education bodies involved were able to confirm what is happening this week. The story from Sarah Price on uh, cabinradio.ca. Now, I, I've heard rumblings that this has kind of been, uh, this has kind of been uh, resolved. But, I mean, as of now, as of today at 6.55 in the morning when we posted the story, no word yet. Um, Hay River District's Education Authority, or DEA, said authority was still trying to find out what's happening on Monday afternoon. Uh, the DEA is responsible for providing uh, education services to students in uh, Hay River and Enterprise. In the past years, the DEA has run three buses, one for students living in the West Point, one for students living in Paradise Gardens, and uh, one, uh, which is about a 20-minute drive from the school, which is tough. That's a tough one, especially if you don't have a car and you got kids. A couple parents mentioned in the story saying that they won't be able to afford to do that. One, uh, one parent mentioning that they're, they're planning on homeschooling their kids if there's no solution found. Makes sense. 20-minute drive. That's not nothing. 
Well, the you DEA, they, I mean, they also moonlight as the drug enforcement agency. Absolutely. So they, they got a lot of stuff on their I, plate. Right. And I mean, they can't find more money for the for the buses. <laughs> that the things service. are going to fall by the wayside. All right. The service costs. <laughs> Just rumbling in with, with guns and tack. <laughs> We're taking you to school. Um, service costs just over $150,000 per year to run. Uh, DEA says $82,000 of that funding comes directly from the territorial government's funding formula, which takes into think, uh, account things like the number of students and the distance they uh, live from the schools. The rest of the money is pulled from the DEA uh, from other budgets, typically from the operations maintenance line item to make up the shortfall. Now, but in May, the DEA reached a breaking point and no longer had the money to keep the buses running. What? Like, okay, so just give them more money. Like, I mean, 150 grand, the GNWT, like, come on. Uh, you can't come up. You can't. You you, you had eighty two thousand. You can't come up with another another seventy thousand dollars. I mean, the songs of the children alone are worth the, at least a hundred. The 000. smiles, the laughter, the education of our children. Listen to that. I mean, that's that's worth one hundred and fifty grand right there, territorial government. Yeah, and if we got, I mean. I make I'm going to make a big leap here, and it's probably it probably has nothing to do with either of them. We got 89 million dollars for the the COVID thing. We can't come up with another 70 grand to get to get kids to school on a bus. Like, come on, come, come on. on, come on. 89 million dollars for that, and then and then and then when we opened up, uh, we lax restrictions and opened up the border. Not really opened up the border, but allowed people to travel. We we're like, wow, we weren't expecting so many self isolation plans. We're really behind on it. It's like, really. You weren't expecting the territory to be like, we can leave, the, we can go, let's go. Remember that? So first you're saying week, that. First week, they were like, we weren't expecting this kind of volume. How the hell were you not expecting that kind of volume? So you're How saying that this is essentially the response. He steps on the clutch and the toilet goes flush. Hail to the. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going on in the DEA right now. So there you go. Um, I mean, you got to provide, uh, uh, according to the Education Act of the NWT, education bodies may provide transportation to, to schools and charge fees for this service if they choose. The act does not require DEAs uh, to offer uh, transportation. So they're not forced to do it. But, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that you should do. It's a bus. Get kids to school. There you go. Don't depend on parents to do it. Some parents can. Some parents can't. Some parents don't have the vehicles. So, hey, a bus is great, especially for that 20-minute drive from Paradise Gardens. Come on. Come up with a seventy grand. This is this feels like an easy one. This feels like a slam dunk. Come up with seventy grand. Not that difficult. When we got millions flying around for not being able to handle the volume of SIPs when people finally get to leave the territory after a year and a half. Boom, boom. Now all of these things may not be connected, but I mean it's all going into one big coffer, right? I mean I'm yeah I'm not spending uh, uh, eighty five dollars on a on a flat of beer just so it, it goes into something that's not worthwhile anyway. What kind of beer are you buying? Terrible beer. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, just, I mean, like, just, like, figure it out. Like, go, okay, if we found the seventy grand. Cool, we'll figure it out in the in the next in the next school year. Just like toss them the seventy grand. Get the buses running. It's done. Right there, it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. It seems, uh, yeah, like you say, slam dunk. That's right. It seems like a slam dunk. Get the kids to school. Done and done. I mean, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. And I'm sure there's someone like tisking and uh, rolling their eyes at what we're saying if anybody important is listening they're not um but eh, this just seems like an easy one think about the children think of the children you you need not do any more than that that's right and the money will just find itself that's right the money will find itself i mean we pay taxes for a reason right the money will travel it'll you know experience yeah. things it'll circle the table yeah. it'll go into someone's pocket 
whatever. <laughs> That's going to do it for uh, Mornings with Kevin. For, oh. Hail to the bus driver, bus driver, bus driver. Yes, hail to the bus driver, bus driver man. Beautiful. That's when they get that 70 grand. There you go. There you go. Uh, that's going to do it. That part we do now for uh, Mornings at the Cabin. Um, yeah. Remember, Lecter doesn't shop local, uh, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we bought, you bought a house. I bought a house. I feel like that's shopping local. You know what I mean? That's pretty local. Paying that property tax every year. I feel like that's a pretty good contribution. Pretty local. <laughs> Still supporting local business absolutely as much as we can. Um, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Have yourselves a wonderful day. It's a little warmer today, so maybe maybe take off those socks if you're wearing open-toed shoes. I would still say a light sweater, though. Still a little cool out there. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Check out more from the show at cabinradio.ca and by following the Mornings at the Cabin Facebook page. Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Are you expecting a child tax credit? Deposit and spend it securely with the BB&T Money Account prepaid card. It makes managing your everyday spending easy. Apply for a prepaid card at bbnt.com slash money account. Hola, welcome to Daily Café, un podcast diario en donde hablaremos de los últimos acontecimientos en USA and around the world. Also, we'll talk about business news, leadership, motivation y, por supuesto, lo último de la industria del podcast. Tómate un café conmigo and enjoy las noticias y artículos I will bring for you. Hoy, en Daily Café, Biden no extenderá el plazo para el retiro de tropas. Corte Suprema rechaza orden migratoria. And Delta Airlines is going to start charging unvaccinated employees $200 per month. Bienvenidos a Daily Café. Un daily en el que te puedes tomar un café conmigo y escuchar las últimas noticias. Presidente Biden afirmó yesterday that he will not immediately extend an August 31 deadline to withdraw U.S. combat troops from Afghanistan, ceding terror threats. In making the decision, Biden agreed with the Pentagon's recommendation to stick to the deadline, according to two people with knowledge of his decision. In an address yesterday afternoon, Biden stressed the threat of U.S. troops, nothing that each state of operation brings added risk to our troops, and pointing directly to the growth threat of an attack by the terrorist group Islamic State of Iraq and the Levitan, a Khorasan province, ISIS. 
El presidente afirmó ayer que no extenderá de inmediato la fecha límite del 31 de agosto para retirar las tropas de combate estadounidense de Afganistán, citando amenazas terroristas. Al tomar la decisión, Biden estuvo de acuerdo con una recomendación del Pentágono de ceñirse al plazo, según dos personas con conocimiento de su decisión. En un discurso ayer por la tarde, Biden hizo hincapié en la amenaza para las tropas estadounidenses, señalando que cada día de operaciones conlleva un riesgo adicional para nuestras tropas, y señaló directamente la creciente amenaza de un ataque grupo terroristas Estado Islámico de Irak y Levante, provincia de Korhaz y Sixka. Biden ha dicho que Estados Unidos todavía está listo para completar las evacuaciones antes de la fecha límite del retiro del 31 de agosto. Hablando con los reporteros, Biden dijo que actualmente estamos en camino de terminar el 31 de agosto. Cuanto antes terminaremos mejor. Cada día de operaciones es un riesgo adicional para las tropas. Por otro lado, fallo de la Corte Suprema obliga a Biden a restaurar la política permanecer en México de Trump. La Corte Suprema de Estados Unidos rechazó la solicitud del gobierno de Biden de suspender una orden de un tribunal inferior que requiere la reactivación de la controvertida política de inmigración de la era Trump, conocida como el programa Permanecer en México. Los jueces liberales del tribunal señalaron públicamente que habrían aceptado la solicitud de detener la orden del tribunal inferior. La controvertida política obliga a los inmigrantes a permanecer en México hasta la fecha de su audiencia en la Corte de Inmigración de Estados Unidos. El gobierno de Biden recurrió a la Corte Suprema el viernes pasado después de que la Corte de Apelaciones del Quinto Círculo de Estados Unidos dijera el jueves por la noche que no suspendería la orden de la Corte de Distrito para reactivar el programa. La orden del Tribunal de Distrito se emitió a principios de este mes en una demanda presentada por los estados republicanos que impugnaban la terminación del programa por parte de la administración de Biden. En Delta Airlines is going to start charging unvaccinated employees $200 per month. Delta Airlines comenzará a cobrar a los empleados no vacunados $200 al mes. Delta Airlines will charge employees of the company health plan $200 a month if they fail to get vaccinated against COVID-19. A policy uh, the airline's top executive said is necessary because the average hospital stay for the virus costs the airline $40,000. Delta Airlines cobrará a los empleados del plan de salud de la compañía $200 al mes si no se vacunan contra el COVID-19, una política que el principal ejecutivo de la aerolínea dice que es necesaria porque la estadía promedio en el hospital por el virus le cuesta a la aerolínea $40,000. The CEO Ed Bastian said that all employees who have been hospitalized for the virus in In recent weeks, were not fully vaccinated. El director ejecutivo Ed Bassen dijo que todos los empleados que han sido hospitalizados por el virus en las últimas semanas no estaban completamente vacunados. La aerolínea dijo el miércoles que también dejará de extender la protección salarial a los trabajadores no vacunados que contraen COVID-19 el 30 de septiembre y exigirá que los trabajadores no vacunados se realicen pruebas semanales a partir del 12 de septiembre, aunque Delta cubriría el costo. Tendrán que usar mascarillas en todos los entornos interiores de la empresa. Gracias por escucharlos. Tomorrow we'll bring more information. And remember to subscribe to get your daily café conmigo. This show is producido for Fusión Latina Network. Hasta mañana.
I'm a business owning meal prepping 24-7 super mom. But who isn't nowadays? And for me, first day of school success begins at Office Depot Office Max, where everything my kids need to start the year strong is in one place, like a laptop for my high schooler, backpacks and notebooks for the little ones, and hand sanitizer for all of the above. I can even order things for my business. It's all available in-store and online at officedepot.com and at low prices all season long. Office Depot Office Max, their business is to keep school going. Keep the connected devices in your home protected from Wi-Fi threats with XFi Advanced Security. Included with Xfinity Internet at no extra cost. Can your internet do that? Activate Advanced Security today through the Xfinity app and learn about upgrading your in-home Wi-Fi experience with XFi Complete. It includes unlimited internet data and will help ensure you get the most Wi-Fi coverage throughout your home. Go to Xfinity.com slash XFi Complete, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. XFi and XFi Complete available to Xfinity Internet customers with a compatible XFi gateway. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. The policy has no fine print. It's clear what's covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this pet store is protected by three. Joe, did you leave the snake tank open? Look, I don't want to point fingers, but yes. It's fighting me. Sorry, sir. I'm calling my lawyer. They're going to need some help with this mess. Luckily, they have three. No fine print, just exceptional coverage. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three. No nonsense, just common sense. Here we go, here we go. We back. This is what's wacky us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So today we're gonna touch on a few different things. We got um what we got going on, so well, today we're going to be discussing people who are non-parents or have not raised any children in their lives but always have, you know, two cents to offer from the peanut gallery to people who have raised children and or are parents. <coughs> Excuse me. So this would be a shout out to all parents, all moms, dads, step-parents, all those who don't have biological children, but have raised siblings, raised other people's children. You too are a parent. And when somebody tries to come along and give you some parental advice and they've never, ever, ever raised a child, took care of a sibling for an extended period of time, but want to tell you what you're doing wrong, how you could do it better. And have no idea what goes into parenting whatsoever. And of course, you know us on what's wacky to us. We'll probably make a left turn here and there and start talking about some trending topics. So, True. you know how we do. So, basically, we're talking about a bunch of, as we call it, sports, the, the uh, sideline coaches. So, you're going to be on the sideline and you're trying to tell us how to run the game. And you've never been in the game because you don't got no kids. You're not in the game. And you can't be, because I, I see it a lot 
on social media, like somebody be like, well, like even with stuff like with the gender stuff and everything, they'd be like, oh, let the kid be this and that. And it'll be come from a person that has no kid. So they don't know the hurt and the impact that that have on that parent. But you just voicing your opinion that's like really voided it because you're not in the game. You have no kids. You don't know what it's like to raise a kid once again because you have no kid. You know, you can be an auntie, an uncle, or whatever. That's that, oh, I come and get him, take him to the park. And give him right back. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, but you're the, you're the subject matter expert on this. And you probably go home like, oh, man, I can't believe my sister or my brother the way they be doing and just letting this kid run wild. Or and they so just put that disclaimer out there. We're not talking about ignorant nonsense and people like who are neglectful and, and people, you know, the crackhead parent and the degenerate parent. We're talking about legit parenting here. So before the hit dog hollers and it's like, oh, my parent was an abusive you know, piece of crap and this and that. We're not talking about them. And furthermore, um, this also ties into kids also have an issue with their parents and never take into consideration that their parents have lives, struggles, um, pains, sicknesses, ailments, trauma, and everything else that everyone else has. But somebody also, like your own children, will be like, oh, you know, my mother could have did this and that better and never takes into consideration that, yo, you don't know what your mother been through and is trying to do the best she can with what yeah. she has. Your father's trying to do the best he can with what he has and you all here criticizing. You ain't never taking care of nobody. Meanwhile, you have a roof over your head, claws on your back, food to eat. You got nice sneakers on. You're not, you're not living in, in squalor. But you want to criticize your parents because you don't like that you couldn't get Jordans when you wanted them. And you got somebody over there being like, well, if I had kids, <laughs> I would do it this way. Well, guess what? You don't have no kids. So you don't know what you would game. do. Out the game. Sideline coaching. Now, I use myself, for example. Like, when I had my first kid, I was 16 years old. And was I ready to be a father? Or a parent or anything? No, I was still trying to go to the park. I was still worried about fresh sneakers and stuff like that. I was no responsibility. I was not. I was a hundred percent not ready. I was coming home. My mom's had my baby in the house. Like here, hold this baby. It's your baby. I'm like, come on. Like in my head, I'm like, you blowing minds right now. Like I'm trying to get out here. The crew is waiting. You know, at the bench at 48 Park, <laughs> cracking jokes and carrying on, acting a fool. And here she is with this baby. You know, and you know it took. It was like, and, and it took me a while before I was actually ready to become a, a father, man. Like, it took me a long time. And I was lucky that my moms and my family and everybody had my back. Because if it had been up to me, I don't know how it would have turned out. And actually, that kid right there, my daughter, she got, she, she turned out pretty well. Because it was a village mentality. It took a whole, it definitely took a whole village to raise her. Because I wasn't ready. And it would have just been all bad. And my mom's, you know, she played a major role in that. And my my daughter's her other side, the grandmother and everybody, paid, played a major role in that. And so it happened, she turned out that she graduated college. She wasn't a statistic, got her master's, doing whatever she do. But, um, yeah, man, kids don't understand. You was something before you had them. 
and they want to be like, parents don't understand? Nah, little ones, <laughs> nah. Parents do understand. The thing is, is that y'all don't understand. It's just like you said, at 16, you weren't ready to be a parent. I was a parent at 17, and again, it's true. You're not ready. You're, you're, you're growing up with your kid, yeah. literally. And again, no one takes that into consideration. And so I, I got to say, shout out to my grandma because she was the absolute everything. everything. And even on my father's side, my grand, my grandfather on my father's side, um, they were so, so supportive. Whereas my own parents weren't, even though they were also teen parents. Mm. So it's like... You condemn me for mm. basically doing what y'all did. That was shots. Because they basically said that I had ruined my life. That and then what happened? What happened? They said I had ruined my life. I should have put my baby up for adoption. Well, maybe when my second child was born and he was not even a year old, Mike and I moved to North Carolina. Into a real nice big house. <laughs> and when my moms came to visit after all of her condemnation and how I was wilding and all that. And then she came to visit and seeing we had the, the beautiful big ass house with the big backyard. And it was, oh, oh, my daughters and my grand, my daughter and my grandchildren, my sweet grandsons are doing so well. Like you, you, you were ready to say that we didn't know what we were doing, but again, we did the best we could with what we had. Then you have a whole bunch of other people trying to tell us, y'all are wilding. Y'all need to stop having these kids. Uh, 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 uh. Coming from people with no kids. They wasn't taking care of them. We were taking care of them. They was. But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna go back to people with no kids versus. People with kids, because I feel personally, if you don't got no kids, you should be way up. Because kids cost a lot. You should be up. You should have everything. You should have. You should already traveled. Your car should be mad updated. Your house. You should have a house. Because do you know how much it costs to raise these little ones? It is expensive, and it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot. The people with kids, man, they have to sacrifice. They know the meaning of sacrifice. Because I know you want to get fly. But the baby needs this. The baby needs that. You know, you want to you want to do you want to travel. The baby needs this. The kids need that. So everything you always you, you you can't just think. You're not thinking for just yourself. No more. You can't be selfish. You know, cause you got that love for your kid. It's like you just ain't gonna allow. It's like you're not gonna be selfish. Some people do, but most people with kids, that sacrifice is so real, and it goes, you know, like. Kind of like underappreciated yeah. and underrewarded because I feel like when kids get older, this is just my views on how things should be. You know, I'm gonna go into some whole other how things should be as because I feel like a kid really it's not a payback, but it's like a respect. Like a kid should really be like, yo, my moms, my pops understand the str- understand the struggle. So when you become able to be like, you know, you're productive and you're making some money, you should be because, you know, as a as a parent, get older, their earning potential goes down. And, you know, you, every parent ain't 
ain't having where they could have a nice IRA or pension or whatever. So you should come and get that parent some help sometime without the parent even asking. You and a lot of kids don't do that. I got a lot of friends, and I just feel like kids are so selfish these days, man. All I ever wanted to do was take care of my mom. And when I had it to give her whatever she wanted, I gave it to her. Anybody know me, they know that's that that's the, the truth. truth. I so have seen it with my own eyes. It's many like times. you know, and that was like I always felt good. I felt good about that. Like, dang, you know, like growing up, we didn't have much and stuff. But when I was able to do things and stuff, it made me. It really, really made me feel really good. And I was proud. It made me feel proud. Even I'm be honest, the stuff I still do today, I always think about it, like, dang, my mom should be proud of me. Because my mom's, and that's one thing y'all kids don't know. You know, I know it's supposed to be like a, this story supposed to be about the verses that keep it with no kids. Well, the show is about and, parenting. How about and, that? And um, all that. But your parents are your biggest, your biggest supporters and fans. No matter what you do, right or wrong, they're gonna support you. And they're gonna always have your back. And that's what's crazy. And like you don't, you need to, um, you need to pay more attention to that. Be more respectful to your parents, and pay homage because yo, parenting is a journey, and it never stops. It never stops. It never stops. It's, it's like a never-ending journey. It never stops. I know you guys think it does, but it, it doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> so it's just like you said. Your parents had lives before you, and it's like I always say. Children don't realize, or maybe they do, but they to me they don't, that your parents had a whole life before you. And your parents know what it's like to live in the world without you versus you not knowing what it's like to live in this world without your parents. And, of course, that doesn't apply to everyone. But, again, um, when you have supportive people in your corner who, who will drop everything and something is wrong or whatever... Um, like you said, pay homage. Do you even call your parents? Do you have a, a regimen? You know, since I've gotten older and I did not have the good, a good relationship with my mother. I did not. I was much tighter with my dad. And as I've gotten older, I had to come to the understanding that my mother had her own struggles. She dealt with a whole lot of stuff that I'll never know about with my dad. And, you know, that shaped her. Um... So it's like you have to think about what people went through or are going through and deal with before you start passing your judgments and being like, oh, you know, well, my parents didn't do this and didn't do that. What kind of traumas did your parents suffer that caused them to lash out or be a certain way? You know, I hear a lot, a lot, a lot of people talk about how their parents weren't affectionate to them, didn't give, you know, or, or were... Not just unaffectionate, but even turned away from giving their children hugs. That wasn't to say they love their children any less, but their own traumas caused them to have issues with showing affection. And, and instead of condemning the parent, y'all all need healing. Y'all all need to work through things, you know. And I'm not saying that people don't have issues with, with certain things. And, of course, there's legit and valid points in you know, people having certain criticisms and whatever, whatever. But this ain't that. We're talking about the people who have sacrificed, did the best that they could with what they had. And like we, you know, like the saying goes, children don't come with a handbook. 
you know, and when you're a young parent, you're still trying to figure it out yourself while taking care of someone else and making sure they turn out to be a decent human being. And meanwhile, there's somebody who's never raised a child being like, oh, you know, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? Nobody want to hear all that. And another thing with, with, with like, you know, and this, this and, and you should sit down and listen to this with your kids. Because this is that type of episode because I feel like a kid always has these things or what all of their shortcomings, their parents, and, you know, like, didn't do and what they did wrong. But how many kids can actually say, like, when the last time you made your parent proud? Like, yeah. what did you do? What did, what did you do to be like, oh, my mom's, my pop's going to be proud of me? Or, you you know, like, all the schooling and running back. You know, we we, know, we all got some badass kids. All the school, you running back and forth to school and this, that, and the third, you know, we're we trying to get you the best education, trying to keep you up to date with this, that, and the third. And now, like, wait, wait, but but all you got on, all you got to say is what you didn't have and what you, what the parent did wrong. So I'm giving, we're going to get a horns to the parents. And we're going to get some shots to the kids. How about that? Because the they need to step up. These people, could you do this? What I'm doing? Yeah. Could you raise multiple children from 17 to from from the from when you were 17? As someone with no children, could you take care of three, four, five kids at 17 through you know through adulthood? Because Rick and I raised five children from, like he said. From he was 16, and even though our, our first sets of children are not with each other, we have children together that um, we literally provided for and took care of my children. You know, none of our children were down and out. That's not to say we didn't go through hard times and struggles, but we made it through. And nobody was starving. Nobody was homeless. And trust me. My children have caused some issues where that could have been, you know, like he said, when's the last time you picked up the phone and just asked your parents how they're doing? Do you even know what ailments your parents have? Do you even know what sufferings they go through? Do you even ask? Like, hey, mom, you know, you're 55 years old or whatever. I'm not 55, by the way, but I'm just saying, Um, you know, hey, you know, you're 55 now. You got dealing with any arthritis. You have any, uh, 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 you know, what's going on, ma? Are you okay? Dad, hey, you know, you're not diabetic or anything, are you? You know, any, do you even ask? Exactly. But, all right, enough of the parenting and giving these pointers and tips. We're going to talk about, we're getting into the wacky world now. Uh-oh. Now, what's wacky? Uh-oh. What's wacky is this crate challenge. This whole crate challenge is so stupid. Oh, I can't believe people out here walking up crates. Olympics? Yeah, it's like crazy. Like, you're actually walking. And I'm looking at these people fall. They're like falling on their side, hitting the crate, falling on their face. Backs, on the, I mean, like, yo, you got you got entertainers doing it. You got everybody. Doing, what What is the payoff besides like a broken something or or embarrassment? <laughs> like this is crazy, man. We got five. That's just, I just, we just had to do that. And I'm throwing. I'm definitely throwing shots to the. I'm definitely definitely throwing shots at that. We gonna throw shots at that long. You know what I'm saying? Because that is dumb. And it's like it, it, it's just idiot. All these challenges. 
uh, we need better challenges, you know, like, because we're just challenging ourselves right now to be stupid. So we need to come up out of that. Um, what else is on the wacky news front? Well, you know, the wacky news front, since our last one was, uh, uh, didn't a bunch of people just, what you call it, Shikari dropped out of her races. And she came and, in last, and she came dead in last, last, ninth place. And, um, you know, then we have all this madness with, with, what? You know, we have the back and forth with the, 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 COVID? That, but no, there's this nonsense going on with people taking horse, uh, deworming what? pills in all throughout, like, the South, where these people are taking, it's I like a big deal, one. yeah, where they're taking horse medicine. Despite being warned by government, FDA, everybody not to do it. And, of course, what's happening? You got mad people going through the illmatic sicknesses and dying because you're taking what are you medicine. Taking it for? Deworming. Like, nigga, take your ass to the doctor. Deworming? I don't know. They're I, taking horse medicine I don't know about for this. That one. That's like a big one. And then, you know, the stupid crate challenge. Oh, you know what else is big? What's big? The Curries and they drama. Oh, Stephanie. Dell and Sean. <laughs> De- my Del girl Sean is out here wilding. My namesake is out here wilding. <laughs> they both claiming they both was cheating. Yo, that's crazy. I know Steph. I know Steph Curry and, and, and Seth. Steph is Seth and the fan. I know he's like ma. Like, what is the what is the fight? What is the, after thirty three years? What is the fight? What you want, ma? I got you. Could you and pops just stop it? Y'all embarrassing us. They both Seth. Like she been living with somebody already. We've been broke up for a year. She already living with. And she's like, you've been cheating your whole NBA career. After thirty three years now, y'all want to be acting all crazy. And y'all are mad, super religious. It always is the super religious folk who come out with some scandalous things. Just Crazy. scandalous. Crazy. Like you said, I know Seth Curry right now, and, and, and Steph is like, oh my God, what is happening? Right More now? wacky news is. Kanye West puts a Drake air dress out. <laughs> Yo, Kanye crazy, man, for real. You don't put this man's air dress out on on um and social then media. And gonna say, when I got coming for you. You'll never recover from. And that, he was like, that ain't no threat. That's a promise. He's like, Drake ain't never going to recover from what he, they, they, what he got coming. You know, Yeezy is out here wilding. My namesake, Sone, is out here wilding. <laughs> Del Curry is wilding. Like, yo, what is going on? I don't know, but it's a wacky world. And we're going um, to gonna wrap this up. And... Something to just think about, man. Listen to the first part of this episode with your kids, man. Because I don't care. We we gotta stop. We gotta hold these kids account. I don't, I don't think as a parent we hold kids accountable as they hold us accountable for we stuff. Don't. You know, like because you you bust your tail, like you getting them through college, everything. You, then they go off. You know, it's crazy. They'll go off in college, right? They graduate. You still got that bill. You still got that bill, and they'll probably be making more money than you, but you'll be still paying 
that college bill and they won't even help you. That's that's kind of crazy, man. But I know we supposed to do we supposed to do everything, you know, as a parent. And it, all it, you, it just it's like you said though, parenting doesn't stop, and that's something else that your children don't take into account. That's why I also say shout out to those people who have raised other people's kids, who've had to take care of their siblings because they had neglectful parents and did the right thing. Like y'all are are humongous backbones as well that don't get enough credit, especially you know men who raise other women's children with no question. Um, and and then you know you get the kid coming back later. Well, you're not my father. You're not my mom. You're not my mother. Yeah, you're not my father. Exactly. And it's like, wait a minute. I'm and, keeping a roof over your head. I'm paying yeah. the mortgage. You got food to you're eat. Like, where is your father? Where is he then? Don't fucking tell me to give me my shit back. You know then you foul for that. You, know you foul for, for making like a Snoop. valid point. You be like Snoop, like I ain't your father. You like Snoop and Baby Boy when he kicked over when Snoop kicked over his little yeah. tent. He's like I ain't your father anyway, anyway little nigga. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yo, we out, man. We, it was wacky, us. You know, get at us. We out. You know, so y'all have a good. Facebook page on what's wacky to us on Facebook and what's wacky to us at gmail.com. It's hump day and enjoy. Are you expecting a child tax credit? Deposit and spend it securely with the BB&T Money Account prepaid card. It makes managing your everyday spending easy. Apply for a prepaid card at bbnt.com/moneyaccount. Are you expecting a child tax credit? Deposit and spend it securely with the BB&T Money Account prepaid card. It makes managing your everyday spending easy. Apply for a prepaid card at bbnt.com/moneyaccount. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Antonio, two goals for him. We'll speak to him very shortly, hopefully. And a brilliant night for West Ham. Brilliant start to the season as well. They've scored eight goals. They are top of the league. Two wins out of two. First time since 1930 they've scored two, eight goals in the first two matches. Extraordinary night. But how key was he to it, Gary? We've talked about single strikers. I said goalkeeper is the hardest position on the pitch. The second one is playing up front on your own. And Antonio does it absolutely brilliant. Occupies defenders, nightmare to play against, runs in behind. Goal threat has refined his game and become more polished over the last few years. Started off, I remember when I was with England uh, with Roy Hodgson and we were looking at him as a right back. He was playing at right back at, at West Ham at the time as a right wing back. Never thought for one second he's going to end up being this presence that he is now in the Premier League as a, as a forward. Absolutely brilliant. Why don't defenders like playing against him? 
Because he's very good. <laughs> I, whenever I think of Mikel Antonio, forget what he did tonight, he just makes you smile. I don't think anyone through the league, no matter who you support, even rivals of West Ham, you can't not like him when you watch how he plays the game, his personality, the celebration with the cutout. Brilliant. You know, it's just, it's him, he's a personality. We were dancing with him, weren't we, a few years? I wish I was there dancing <laughs> with him tonight. not make us smile either. <laughs> <laughs> but, listen... I'm talking about sort of enthusiasm there as personality. He's top quality. When we go through his goals again, both goals, I mean, the first touch with his left foot before he spins and scores, then that moment he takes it with a touch and then with the studs as well. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a top player. He really is. I'm a big fan of his. I really am. And he's uh, become a record-breaker tonight as well. He said in an interview this week it was just a matter of time before he went past Paolo Di Canio, having equalled him on 47 last week at Newcastle. Two more tonight, and without doubt now, he is the top goalscorer in West Ham's Premier League history. And he's waiting to speak to us. Congratulations, Mikhail. How does that feel? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, I'm so relieved. Um, in the first half, I think I was overdoing it, trying to get the goal, but then in the second half... Just playing, playing the way I normally play. I managed to get the goals. Didn't get just one. I got two and an assist. So I start concentrating. I kind of let it affect me in the first half, but the second half I've come out and done the job. Oh, so you were thinking about the record from the very first minute, were you tonight? You were just trying to get this out of the way. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, as a footballer, you've got to be professional and try and stick to it. But obviously, I'm trying to make history is one of So like, um, it's always going to be the back of your mind. And I feel in the first half it kind of affected me. But the second half I come out and did the job. The goals were special. We'll come on to that. The celebration was, was arguably even more special. But we want to know, Mikhail, how much this was planned. The, the planted cardboard cutout that we spotted. Have a look on your monitor. <laughs> That's before the match, the organisation that went into this. <laughs> and then it was sealed with a kiss. Lovely. So whose idea was that? So basically, obviously, I was like, I've got to do a record. Obviously, I've not been, I've not been celebrating of late because of VAR. But I was like, you know what, I'm making history. I was like, I've got to make it do it special, isn't it? I started off doing celebrations, so I've got to finish it with celebrations. Um, did, did any of you get what celebration it was, by the way? That's no, what I asked. Go on, then. Come on. Fill us in. You're, you're, no, I want you to guess what you think it is. <laughs> you haven't had a kiss for a while? <laughs> Save the last dance. You know what I remember? The, little, the lift from the end, save the last dance. Oh, we haven't watched that one recently. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine, Mikhail, had that been disallowed through VAR, having gone through all that? I know, right? I would have, that would have been proper embarrassing. But you know what? It's also one of those things where it's amazing. I love, I love and enjoy it all the day. You always see me smiling, so I've probably will seen the funny side of it as well. <laughs> Mikel, how, how nice was it tonight at the end of the game, not just for you, for the rest of the lads, you know, to celebrate a big victory with the supporters? You had such a great season last season, but you couldn't sort of celebrate and enjoy that with them. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, the fans are still here, still singing. It's, the game's over. I've been over for the last 20 minutes, and they're still here singing. So, like, see that like, the fans enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. It was amazing, the atmosphere. There's nothing better than scoring a goal and you hear the roar from the fans. There's nothing better than that. Mikel, you finished sixth last season. You started absolutely brilliant this season. Do you think you can push towards those Champions League spaces and do better than you did last year? 
All we can do is keep turning up to each game. I know it's a cliche football answer, <laughs> but you've got to keep turning up, get three points as you go. Because um, right now we've got the squad um, and we've got the performance, we're doing the performance, we've got the consistency. So all we can do is keep coming out, keep turning out and getting the points. Right now, sitting top of the table, like... I've never been top of the table since I've been in the last seven years, so <laughs> we're just going to enjoy that right now. <laughs> I think it's a fair question, though, Mikael, because a lot of people will have, will have looked at the fact that West Ham haven't signed a lot of players this summer and, and made the assumption that you can't do that again. So what are the players themselves saying? The players, we just got belief in ourselves. Um, one thing we know, the fact, is that we, we, we work hard and we've got the quality to break, to break teams down, so... One thing the Gaffer did when he first came in, he said well, our running just wasn't enough. Like we're 17th place in our running stats, and now we're up there in the top, the top of the table, and it's shown it because now we're top of the table. It's not just West Ham who are top of the table. Mikel Antonio is top of the table, goal scoring. Can you stay there? Obviously, and I'm going to make it. I'm going to put a big distance between us so no one can catch me. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Mikael, last time we saw you on Friday Night Football, you gave us a little dance. Can we have one tonight or not? <laughs> I know what I would do. Can someone get my cardboard cut out for me? Yeah. I'll bring that on with me. Anybody? No, no, no one's getting it. No one's getting it. No one's, no one's to see it. Well, someone might bring it, but in the meantime, just, just give us an idea of, of what that number nine means to you as well, having swapped the shirt numbers. And, and was that important to you? Uh, it was a difficult decision for me, to be fair. Um, the number 30, I've been there for the last six years in my seventh season at West Ham, and I've always been number 30, so I was always thinking to be it. But um, over the last two years, um, playing number nine, I feel taking that and owning it, owning being the striker at West Ham and taking that number nine was key for me. So that's the only reason why I did it. But I did have that little like love for the 30 shirt, so it was difficult for me to let go, I'm not going to lie. So what is the target? Double figures the last two seasons on a, on a personal note. What do you think you really can achieve? I've got to, I've got to beat what I did last year. I feel last year I think last year I was disappointed with my ten goals. I was looking for fifteen last year. Um, now I've got three goals in two games. You never know. Could even get twenty. Well, <laughs> well, a final thought. A final thought. You are the top Premier League scorer for West Ham, Mikhail, and another two hundred and seventy-five goals will take you past. Vic Watson as the all-time West Ham scorer. Do it. Let's do it. No problem. <laughs> hey, I'll never write you off. Great to talk to you, Mikel. Enjoy your night. You've absolutely deserved it. What a star, eh? What a star. Absolutely incredible. Jamie mentioned it. Absolutely makes everyone happy. Every time we interview him, it's a joy. I think that players, to be fair, it's difficult sometimes to come out and speak in front of the media. But I think if they watch that interview there, that's what can be achieved. Just makes everybody love football. And I think it's been a really good start the last couple of weeks, the Premier League season. The players, it was tough for them last year. They were absolutely brilliant during COVID. I know you can't say that because of what was going on in the country. But it was hard work going out there in terms of just no fans in there. The fans, they thrive off that adrenaline, that buzz. And you can just see it's back there tonight. What about the utter quality of his finishes as well? Yeah, listen, we're talking about him as a personality. We all like him, but you shouldn't that should not mean we get lost with the actual quality as a player. And I think this will be highlighted, actually, in this goal. I mean, something we mentioned before the game that was seen a lot more in Declan Rice's games now was actually how well he actually carries the ball through midfield. We see that now he's involved, he gets the assist. And he just puts it in, he has a little look at Mikel Lee. We'll talk about that touch, the turn, listen, it's fantastic. But when that ball's flying in at you and you're on your weak foot, it doesn't matter what position you're in, and there's a 
and a, a defender up your backside and it coming in here now. That touch on that left foot, just to keep it there, keep it alive, doesn't go too far away. And then, yes, you can look at the defender, forget that. But how sharp he is for this swivel now. We've spoken about all night about attackers using the body, spinning defenders, and just to lash that in. That is a top quality goal. That was honestly one of the best finishes that we'll see you talked about this weekend. In reference to others, but not being able to see the ball as well. Exactly. So but that, this touch here now, this left foot touch, that can go a lot of time, a lot of plays, that could go anywhere. But we said before, now, when you get in that position, we've said this all night against strikers at centre-backs, when you're square on and you're stood up, you're almost the ball. When it's on the floor, you can't really see where it is in some ways. That's why you need to be down lower. But OK, forget that, as I mentioned with Soy and Chew. But look at that now. Michael Antonio is already on the turn and he's away. And you're just praying for him to score as we were watching it because we knew that goal would break the record. And interestingly, he talked about the pressure that he felt to come up with a finish like that under the, yeah. the pressure that he put himself under tonight. Yeah, but the confidence to go and put that couple cut out there before the game, knew that he, <laughs> he knew it was going to play against Leicester. You know, fantastic team. But I said that they were overpowered um, Leicester tonight. I said before the, before the actual, um, before the sending off, I just thought they were strong set pieces. They looked a bigger threat. They looked a bigger team. And Leicester just didn't look tonight like they had enough to compete with West Ham. I say, sending off with a big impact on the game. But before that, West Ham was still looked a lot stronger. And Antonio's a big part of that. And the next goal, as we can see here, we know that Leicester have problems at centre-back. Amati playing centre-back, he's not quite right. But even that, that is a brilliant touch. You know, he's pulled that out of the air behind him. And he's taken it and put it into his path. And even this bit now, he's not hard, it's, not, uh, it's not easy. He's got a little toe poke on it. He's refined his game. He wouldn't have been possible for him to do this two or three years ago. David Moyes has put great confidence in him. You know, look at that, the focus, the concentration, the determination, desire to get there. Absolutely outstanding from West Ham and from him. Is the key keeping him fit? Keeping him available? I have to keep him fit. Yeah, because what's happened, and I've said this in the past... And it was something I used to speak about uh, Calvert-Lewin as well with Everton. Because they haven't come to the club as like a, a big money signer, you'd always feel you can get someone better. This is, this is going back a couple of years. So West Ham brought in Halef for a lot of money, I think about 40 million. But when he's actually playing week in, week out, you actually realise this fella's good enough to be our centre forward. So West Ham now have got one of those problems where if they went and got a centre forward now, who are you going to get actually better than him? You're talking... A player who possibly wouldn't go to West Ham with no disrespect. Like a Spurs problem. Yeah, OK. So he is that good now where he actually gives you that problem where you think, if we bring a centre forward, they're actually back up and they've got to know they're back up because this fella's that good. I think that was in the past where it was, OK, we'll put him on the right, we can bring a centre forward, he can play different positions. Sometimes, you know what? It's staring you in the face when you've got someone at your club. But because he hasn't come for a big money sign and he hasn't got this big name, he comes as a right back or a right wing back. He is a special, special player. And if he cost 50 or 60 million for West Ham, they'd be raving about what they'd done in the transfer market. Honestly, it's been a struggle for West Ham over the last few years to get over Upton Park. They've lost the spirit, the stadium that they've got now. It's detached from the pitch. He could, if he stays fit this season with his spirit, the way in which you've seen that stadium tonight bouncing, he could finally make those West Ham fans not forget about Upton Park 
park, but certainly bridge that gap to them thinking that there is a future where, where they can create an atmosphere in that stadium because it's players that create atmosphere. Fans thrive off players that love the club, that have that fighting spirit, that care about everything. He cares about everything. He fights for every single last ball on the pitch and the fans then can thrive off it. The West Ham fans haven't had anything to love whilst they've been in that stadium. And obviously last year they missed out, as Jamie just mentioned before, but this could really be a good season for West Ham. Dream start, isn't it? And for Antonio himself, two assists, three goals already, just two games into this season. And you can see the fans' response to that tonight as the goals went in, all four of them. We'll hear from David Boys next. We have our early leaders for just the second night in Premier League history. West Ham are top of the table. Yes, it is early, but they must be delighted. Here's David Moyes with Patrick Davison. Well, David, when you factor everything in and this place being full of your supporters again, is that a really memorable night for West Ham? Uh, it's a super night for us. Uh, team played really well, so I know they're sending off change to get the outcome of the game a little bit, but... Uh, but overall, we've done a lot of good things tonight. Do you think this could be a complete reset for the stadium? I mean, I'm talking five years ago, not just since yeah. you've been manager. Hasn't always been well, easy. Well, there was a real connection. Yeah, well, the people who have been at the games at Upton, Upton Park over the years, the sort of the, the noise, the atmosphere there, this reminded me of Upton Park tonight. Really did. It was great. What did you do well then? How did you create that pressure on Leicester and that atmosphere among your supporters? I think we, I think we've been feeling that we've been doing a lot of good things, but. Leicester, a really good team, just won the, the Community Shield, you know, won the FA Cup, so we knew we were up against real, real good side tonight. But I think we've done a lot of good things, played well. First half was tough, you know, they had a little bit of the ball. But overall, in the end, we got there and we got a, got a good result. Like you say, 11 against 11, they had quite a bit of the ball, but it was mainly between their centre-halves. How did you stop them progressing with their possession? Well, I mean, the way they play, they've got so many good players. Telemans, you know, Perez, Madison are all top players, so... So we're always worried about how they were going to go on the ball, but I thought we'd done a really good job in restricting them. Declan and Thomas Suchek done a great job, made it hard for them. And uh, you know, I think once we got it back, then we sort of blossomed and sort of went from there. Mikel Antonio tonight then, now West Ham's record Premier League goal scorer. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really pleased because I was disappointed with his, his play in the first half, but uh, he didn't have shut the manager up after what I said to him at half-time. Oh, right. What was said? Can you tell us anything? No, no. Just, uh, <laughs> just manager and player talk, you know what I mean? Any thoughts on the celebration? Uh, no, nah, it's not, not something I'm keen on, you know. <laughs> I thought you might not. No, no. Side Ben Rama as well. Second game in a row, yeah. he's really effective. Goals and yeah, assists. Yeah, side's beginning to get into the, the speed of it and up to the, the level. So, really pleased we brought him for that and... Uh, and he's beginning to show it, yeah. What can you achieve this season, David, on the back of last season? I think it's the first time since 97 yeah. West Ham has started with two straight wins. Yeah. Well, the first thing I've got to do is make sure that we keep playing like this and keep a consistency. And I think the, the, the way we've played in the opening two games sort of mirrored where we were at the end of last season. But, you know, I do think that we've got to, we've got to go up again. You know, I've sort of challenged the players to, to find that extra two points, which, we, which might have got us in the Champions League. So... Could be, could be too much. Could be asking far too much. But you know what? What else am I going to do? Sit here and say I want to avoid relegation? I don't want to do that. I want to do better than that. The top of the minute. Yeah. Well, we'll. Well, I hope we can. I hope we can stay there. That's the, that would be. It's another one. I didn't know that. So maybe I'll ask them. See if we can stay top now. Just to go back then, the red card. You mentioned it changed the game. What did you make of it? Well, at the time when, I, when it, I, I didn't know what the foul was, I, would, I thought it was a foul at the time, but I didn't think any more until I saw it on the big screen. When it came on in the big screen, 
I don't think I don't think in any way he meant it, but he, he stands in the boy's ankle, and uh, I think that was the reason for it. But uh, look, I think MD at the football games at the moment, the games are much better to watch than they have been. We're not hearing screaming. We're not we're not getting people diving about because they know they're not getting a foul. And I think the referees have refereed the games really, really well. And thoughts on the new post-match interviews attended by several hundred supporters? Yeah, well, you know, it's good because it, it shows that you're doing something right, you know, because this club's had plenty of these press interviews when, you know, we've been booed or other things, so I've got to say it's great. And uh, I think the big thing was to give them something tonight. And the first time for them coming back was a, was a really good night. Oh, well done. Brilliant. Cheers, thank you. And they must have talked about how important that was at West Ham to get up and running in, in front of their own fans at the London Stadium. But it's fair to say, Gary, under David Moyes, they're probably not going to get carried away by this start. Absolutely not. Um, but if you look at the sort of time that David Moyes has had in the last sort of seven, eight, nine years, it's been tough. You think about that Manchester United, that was a sort of the biggest club in the world. Eight months, he's gone, Paul Sir Alex Ferguson, then he went to Spain. Then, obviously, at Sunderland, they were relegated. Really tough time. And David Moyes got a reputation as being a coach that couldn't uh, play attacking football. You know, would he get another big job again? You just see him there now relaxed, composed, and his team playing outstanding football that epitomised some of the qualities that they had at Everton, where he was really robust and strong and that physical presence, good at set pieces, but also really exciting in the front four. So I'm delighted for him because I say it's tough. Manage it, management is tough. And you see David Moyes in interviews over the years where you see him coming after games and you think, God, it's a struggle. And then you see him there tonight, relaxed, composed, happy with his team, showing that he's a good manager. Um, you know, you said about him at Everton. Everton has sort of won him back a couple of times over the years and the fans there are a little bit sort of... Not that pleased about it, but he, why? He did an unbelievable job at Everton first time round and uh, he's doing a great job now at West Ham. And they won 15 matches already in 2021 in the Premier League, West Ham. Only Man City have actually won more in this calendar year so far. So what are the traits that you see in David Moyes' West Ham side? Well, it's interesting Gary mentions uh, Everton and it's a similar sort of club, really. And you see them there, it's almost it's breaking it up and counter-attacking, certainly in this West Ham team. And we saw it... Uh, sort of the graphic at half-time, the fact that they've scored more counter-attacking goals than anyone since the start of last season. But it's not just about Michael Antonio. You see Fornals, Ben Rama involved there. I mean, how good's Jared Bowen been since he came to the club? You know, that's been a, you know, a great sign and Ben Rama improving as well. Yeah, and you see this brilliant from Michael Antonio. You know what I like here as well? The weight of the pass. What it says as the players come on to it, I'm going to put this in first time. Sometimes you panic there, the goalkeeper's out of, uh, out of the goal, you put too much pace on it, you bobble it into him. So it's really good from Michael Antonio there into his bedroom. He just knows he's going to play first time as he comes into him. So the actual weight on the pass there, not just his goals that we've highlighted. Got a great spine. You know, the two midfield players, two centre-backs and Antonio up front and keep them fit. Particularly the two central midfield players and Antonio. Those three stay fit and they're going to have a really good season because... They'll win a lot of football matches. The foundation they get from those two central midfield players is brilliant. Do you it like really Declan Rice now? I've always liked him. <laughs> There's no problem. I've got no problem with Declan Rice at all. The question is, you know, eighty hundred million pounds. I'm thinking, would you spend that level of money on him? What would you spend? Fifty, sixty. 50, 60 million. I think that that's you the get him. The price tag seems to be 100. No, it's 100 million. I would, as I'm saying to you, that's the, I think that's the, we're determined by the price tag. So 100 million pounds, I'd say probably not. Uh, but. As a midfield player with Solchek, it's an outstanding pair that. I'd want them in, you'd want them in your midfield. I think they could go, apart from Manchester City, they could go and play in any midfield.
Well, it was a tough night for Leicester City, that's for sure. They were a man down and a goal down at half-time. There was no way back for Brendan Rodgers' side. Let's get his reaction now with Patrick Davison. Brendan, how would you assess that in the end? Did mistakes cost you? Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, we started the game OK. We were calm in possession and when we broke through their, their lines, then we looked, uh, we looked like we could, uh, could hurt them. And then, uh, like I said, we, uh, we made too many mistakes. And um, nah, I think credit to the players, they kept going. I think there's, there's no doubt with this team's mentality and the spirit. So, you know, we, we, we kept fighting right to the very end. We get to the game, then we get to 10 men, we get to 2-1, and we, uh, we're ready to make the substitutions to, to try and finally attack the game for the last period. And, and obviously, we, we, we go down to 3-1. So, um, so, yeah, and then by the end, the, uh, the, the Mikel scores a couple of great goals and, and finishes the game for them. Like you say, 11 against 11, you had quite a bit of the ball, but how hard was it to play through them? And was that down to them being good or you being a little bit off it? Yeah, no, I think that I just said to the players afterwards, we uh, technically we weren't at our top level tonight because it was taking too many touches and, and the speed of the game. Uh, we needed to move it quicker, but then we were taking too many touches to get it under control and then we couldn't quite uh, then get through the lines quick enough. So um, it's a little bit of both. Obviously, they were in a, in a nice block, nice and solid. We get into some good areas, but too many times then um, we misplaced the pass or, uh, or didn't quite find the uh, find their teammate. And then obviously, then the, the the game breaks down. The red card is obviously key. What did you make of that? Yeah, I think if you look at it in isolation, then and, and purely the the contact, then of course it doesn't look so good when you see it. But I think if you go back to the ball coming in, there's a foul on on Ayo. Uh, it gets clipped and. The likelihood is if he goes down, he gets a free kick. But because he's clipped and then he's unbalanced, he's stretching. He's obviously on the stretch and uh, and then makes the the tackle, which you know you can clearly see in the TV. It doesn't look so great, especially um, especially when it's slowed down. So uh, and I think whenever Michael goes to the screen in front of 60,000 60, people, he's he's more or less going to give it. But basically, you're saying that Perez doesn't make the challenge if he's not fouled and yes, stumbling himself. Yes, 100. What did you make of it second half when you were down to 10? Obviously, it is a very different match after that. Yeah, but we, we, we kept fighting. I think what we said at half-time is this is a chance to show our spirit. And like we say, we it's 2-0, and then we get back to 2-1. And then uh, the players are still fighting and still running and still working. And then we uh, we wanted to then make uh, a couple of subs to really attack the game in that last 15, 20 minutes to try and get something and uh, obviously they score the third one as we're going to make the subs so and then from there they managed the game well uh, as I said Mikel gets a, a fantastic fourth goal and that uh, puts the game to bed What did you have planned with that double change like you say when the game was still balanced at 2-1 Yeah we were looking to go to 4-3-2 and put that extra player up there you know you're going to be uh, sitting in that little bit deeper and, and blocking the spaces but when you get it then you have that extra that extra player to uh, to try and penetrate up front. Do you think your defensive injuries caught up with you a little bit tonight, trying to deal with some of the yeah, physical listen, as Antonio? Yeah, yeah, listen, when you're missing the players that we're missing, then of course that's always going to make a difference. However, I've always said, and, and it was the same last season, with all the injuries we had, you know, I'm, we'll work with the players that are available. You know, they give everything. And, uh, and like you say, Mikel had a fantastic night. He's a top player at the level. And uh, yeah, he he took his goals well, and and for us, we just uh, 
take our medicine tonight, get ready, and let's see if we can go and win on Saturday. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Admiration for Antonio from everywhere. What about uh, what he had to say about Iosi Perez? Is a mitigation the fact that he felt he was fouled first? It was something I thought about when the when the challenge initially happened. We keep talking about referees letting the, you know the game flow and and little challenges. Now, I don't think it was a foul, but it was you know coming to the back of maybe maybe last season it may have been a foul and that may, may not have happened. But I think both managers mentioned before the game how much they've enjoyed the Premier League since it's sort of you know the last couple of weeks in terms of you know soft challenge or small tackles, uh, letting them go. Uh, and I can never believe that a, a footballer in that situation is trying to hurt someone. Gary mentioned uh, what players do a lot. And we've seen it with players that we play against. You're almost trying to get your foot across and get that body. But I'm not, not that I'm trying to defend them, but I, I can't ever think a footballer or 99% of players would, would try and sort of break someone's leg or try and hurt someone. I just think it's a clumsy challenge. It looks awful. And there's no doubt about what the uh, decision was for Michael Oliver. Do you think the goal that Leicester got to make it 2-1 was, was just a little tantalising yeah. little fish on a hook that drew them out a bit. Teased them and then you've got that decision do you go and try and really attack or do you still wait for that set piece or that counter attack and you know the way Brendan plays, the way Leicester played they're always going to try and be proactive and go and get that goal as quickly as they possibly can and it meant they were a little bit more open, it opened it up for them and ended up being 4-1 in the end but you know, the centre backs need to come back for Leicester, they were a little bit soft centre tonight, I always worried about every time West Ham got a set piece, I thought they were at full stretch to try and stay in the game with them physically um, and they did put a really good sort of compact um, shape together in midfield and as a team, West Ham, which meant that every time that well, Leicester give it away, and Brendan pointed towards the poor passes, the sort of unnecessary, unforced errors, and every time they did that, you got the best counter-attacking team in the league or one of the best counter-attacking teams in the league. So they really fell for it tonight with Leicester in terms of what you don't do against West Ham. Tough night for Leicester, but there'll be lots more to see from them in the coming weeks. When we come back here tonight... The best of the weekend on Monday Night Football. And we'll get the season's predictions. Night to remember for West Ham's Mikhail Antonio, becoming their record Premier League goal scorer going past Paolo Di Canio. You heard what he had to say in our interview, but we have a feeling with this celebration that he might have got his movie references somewhat confused. This is what he had to say just a few minutes ago. What's going to be the best? And I was like, save the last dance. Maybe if I someone that could run to someone, someone could pick me up and I can be baby. You know, I wanted to be baby. But then I realised I'm 94 kg, no one's really going to be baby me. <laughs> so I decided to do it to myself. I've got a cardboard car out of myself and I decided to lift myself up in the air. <laughs> Gary's our expert on this. You said straight away, you don't think it is Save the Last Dance. I did. Do you know something? As soon as he said it, I went, I, does he not mean Dirty Dancing? I think he means Dirty Dancing, certainly the reference to Baby. Because yeah. you were thinking about re-enacting re that special well, scene. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure who, which of one of you is strong enough to hold the other one up. <laughs> All right, great night for West Ham. Let's have a look at uh, the other weekend stars on this second Premier League match day. Well, uh, Romelu Lukaku yesterday had eight attempts for Chelsea. That's incidentally more than any Chelsea player managed in a single game throughout all of last season. 
A great start for him on his second coming at Stamford Bridge, beating Arsenal. Most touches in the opposition box, Mo Salah with 14. Uh, Laporte with the most passes, 111, controlling performance against uh, Norwich. Trent Alexander-Arnold back on form, created seven chances. Most dribble, almost successful dribbles, Adama Traore with nine. Pablo Fornals covered the most distance of anybody this weekend, 12.3 kilometres, and he got the hammers off to a scoring start tonight. Most sprints came from Patrick Bamford and reaching top speed this weekend. It was Adam Armstrong, incidentally, in the first weekend of the season. And uh, Antonio Rudiger clocked 35.8 kilometres per hour. Impressive stuff. So... Two wins for West Ham. Let's talk about some of those other sides that managed to make it two wins out of two. What about Brighton, Jamie? Really good start for them. It has been a great comeback last week. And I, I watched this game and they, they were totally dominant, really were. And we've said so often how much we all enjoy watching them play. But can be finished, and certainly in these early stages of the season. Uh, they've been a lot more clinical than they have been Was that the key? in the past. Was that cheap? Was that the key? Yeah. For their it, progress. Of course it is. I mean, Mopey's been there. It's not like they've brought sort of striking to try and change that. You just hope with, you know, more belief, confidence, maturity in terms of playing in the Premier League, they'll be able to finish off a lot more of the chances that they create. Because they, they are a great watch and you always want them to do well because of the way that they play. And I said they're always an entertaining watch. They've obviously lost Ben White. There's been a lot of talk about Shane Duffy's impressive return after a, a tricky year at Celtic. But another centre-back there has caught your eye. Yeah, I watched it at... Uh, obviously on Saturday, and, and Adam Webster really stuck out for me. And the reason I wanted to speak about him is because we, we spoke about Ben White and the role he had at Brighton was that right-sided centre-half in a three, and you can step out and play. You don't get that opportunity in a, in a back four as such. So I just wanted to look at some clips of, of, of Adam Webster. And you just start now, you actually see the position he takes up. When you're a right-sided centre-back, you can go there. So Ben White in an Arsenal shirt is not going to get that opportunity in a back four. And it's not just Ben White, it's anybody. But you see the position you're in now. And all of the, the back players, uh, I actually think Dunk's underrated, certainly in terms of him on the ball as well. They can play, they have to play from the back if you want to play for this team. But this is what I was talking about at uh, Brentford on Friday night. I was speaking of the position that you pick the ball up in. And more often than not, Ben White will be there for Arsenal or anybody in a back four. But when you're in a back three, you get yourself into maybe semi-full-back positions, if you like. And then you can actually progress forward with the ball. And we see this great run from, from Adam Webster here. So it gives him that licence to actually get involved. And this is a big part of the play. It wasn't just about Ben White being on, you know, good on the ball. Gary's mentioned this in the last couple of weeks. Most centre-backs now coming through or playing in the Premier League, like, you have to be good on the ball. That was a real standout in the game. That's what stood out for me. I think we, we used to talk about the Premier League being te technically and tactically uh, less... Uh, yeah, less sophisticated than sort of other leagues. I, I, that's completely changed. These players, honestly, on the ball, technically, are so gifted. Tactically, their understanding of the game and the way in which the top managers in the world that we've got in this league want them to play, they pick it up straight away. This idea we couldn't tell English players, you couldn't tell players that played in the Premier League how to play. We have to be sort of more physical and sort of more direct. It's absolutely turned on its head this last five or ten years. Absolutely unbelievable the sort of way in which I think since Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, all these great managers have come into the Premier League, it's, it's, it's a different league now. Well, tactically, technically, what have you made of, of Spurs under Nuno? Two wins out of two as well. Yeah, I think that, look, I think last week it suited in some ways playing against Manchester City. It was a brilliant win. Deli Alley. Penalty? Top, 
Yeah, yeah, it is a penalty. I talked about Deli Ali last week. He must have watched the Euros in the summer. He must have watched Jack Grealish going to Manchester City for 100 million. And thought, where's my career going? This is a chance now I've got to get back on track. He's got to get back on track. He's had a good start to this season. Nuno's given him a chance. We know that Nuno is a very, very good manager, tactically very sound. I think his teams have been counter-attack teams, predominantly when he was been at Wolves. And I think it'll be interesting, Roy Keane mentioned it, I think, at the game against uh, Manchester City last week, when they have to break teams down at home will be when the real test is. Big week ahead for Spurs with all the noise around Harry Kane. If he can get through that and keep Kane, then they'll have a good season. Manchester City, beaten at Spurs on that opening weekend, managed to respond by putting five past Norwich. Was there a, a predictable element to this, do you think, Jamie? Yes. I mean, there's nobody better than Man City than beating teams by that scoreline at home. It's not just Norwich. You'll, you'll have that fate. Listen, when teams come up, we never like to be too harsh on them, certainly when you're playing one of the best teams in Europe. So you get Jack Grealish get uh, his goal there. It doesn't matter how it went in. It's great to get off the mark for him. But uh, Norwich will look at that. And you, We go back to when they came up you know, a couple of seasons ago and you just hope well, they have learned. They are very naive defensively at times, leave themselves open to, to games like this and performances like this uh, in terms of the scoreline. But they've had a really tough start to the season. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible start. It is, it is. Liverpool and, and then Manchester City. Yeah, so listen, I'm, it's not being defeatist. I mean, all the players and the manager have known if they took a point from those two games, they've been absolutely delighted. So it's not just writing games off, but... The only way that you look at it, you've got two of the best teams out the way. But, but they've got on. Leicester next. So does the season in some way start on Saturday at home? For Norwich? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. But look, they're going to lose a lot of games of football. They knew that before they came up. And, you know, Leicester, to be fair, have had a bit of a blow tonight, so it'll be tough for them on Saturday. But I just wanted to make the point there about Ferran Torres in those early goals, those runs across the near post. I thought he looked outstanding. He's a different player in the last few months, obviously through the Euros. He's someone that I think will be made into the centre-forward for Manchester City. He is already. But I think he could also do very well. I mean, he looks a completely different physical specimen than he was last season. He looks always like he wasn't, couldn't run at full power, full speed. Didn't look like he picked up Something at City takes a bit of time sometimes to pick up Pep Guardiola's sort of system and way of playing. So, I, so are you trying to talk Pep out of buying Kane, but you're trying to talk <laughs> Ollie into signing him earlier on? No, I'm saying that if Pep Guardiola doesn't get Harry Kane this week, and we're talking about Manchester City not having a centre-forward, Ferran Torres looks like a real player that he designed. The potential is now turning into some... There's no games being played. <laughs> <laughs> James, my friend. Liverpool aren't in for him. That's a fact. <laughs> Let me ask you, Jamie, do you think that Pep Guardiola is influenced by Gary <laughs> I hope he is, actually. Got no chance of winning the league, then. <laughs> Let's talk about Liverpool. Also made it two wins out of two. Has the return of Virgil van Dijk had as much of a, an impact as you expected it would? Yes, but listen, it's early days. But listen, we're not talking about one of the great centre-backs, one of the best players in the Premier League. But when Virgil van Dijk joined Liverpool, Liverpool at that time were having problems, even under Jurgen Klopp, against teams out the recognised top six, if you like. And you actually go through that, the stats there, basically. Only three defeats in 72 games against, you know, the other 14, if you like, no disrespect to them. But a lot of those teams would rely maybe on set-pieces, counter-attacks coming to Anfield. And the record's fantastic. But if you actually look at the very bottom, just last season, Liverpool lost six of those games in 25 without Van Dijk. And the team who started that run last season was Burnley actually coming to Anfield and uh, being the first team to defeat uh, Liverpool. And that was on a set piece. So they come up against Burnley. And I was at the game. There was, a, there was a couple of instances that if I was in this situation, I'd have been very nervous. But 
I didn't panic when I seen Van Dijk in that situation. So what happened was, yeah, Joel Matap, as he does at different times, he stepped out, won a bit of a mazy run, the keeper picks it up, and straight away, I see that. Now, for most defenders, even myself, when I was a player, you think of 1v1. Before you know it, the second striker comes up as well. So as Pope kicks the ball, you're in that situation. Now, yes, you can say where the ball went, other centre-backs could have dealt with that, but I think wherever that ball would have gone, he'd have been able to deal with it. And you're almost in the crowd as a spectator. When you're watching your own team, you see things that could happen, you, you get a bit nervous or you panic. When you see in that situation, you can't because it's Virgil van Dijk. And that's what makes him special and different from other centre-backs. And that was from a long ball. There was another situation like that in the box. And Burnley actually did well at times, started both halves really well in this game and caused Liverpool some problems. Nah. Now, as that ball... If I can just take it back slightly, just as the cross comes in, Dwight McNeil. And you're looking in and stop. Now, Virgil van Dijk, right now, for me, even just looking at him, he is in total control there. It's OK, I'll, I'll leave myself in the middle, it gives me a chance to go to the first one, it gives me a chance to go to the second one. Wherever this is going to go, I'm going to be able to deal with it. It goes to the front man in the box, I think it's Wood, and he just deals with it. And then Liverpool push out and get an attack. Now, would I want Romelu Lukaku getting the ball there? 1v1, 2v1 in the box, maybe not, but you know we can deal with it. And this is a huge difference, again, what Liverpool didn't have last season. Teams pressing Liverpool from the back. Great to say, another assist, as I should say, for, for Trent. Great finish from Sadio Mane. But I think Mikel Arteta mentioned last season how difficult it, not last season, the year before maybe, how difficult it was to play against Liverpool and try and press them. But you've got someone like Van Dijk. You, you try and press, stop the passing lanes, someone who can just knock that 60-70 yard pass and completely change the attack. So that, that's what makes Virgil van Dijk different. There's lots of great <coughs> centre-backs around the world, but how many can cut 1v1 or actually 2v1 and can actually spread the play like that? And that's what the big difference could help Liverpool, certainly this season, in terms of getting back into the title fight. Title fight or title winners. Let's get into our predictions for the <laughs> season. See what they've both gone for. Champions? It's unanimous. Jamie, I thought, given what I've just heard you say there about Virgil van Dijk, that you might have just talked yourself into Liverpool doing well, it again. Well, I've just said before, he's not just one of the best centre-backs, he's one of the best players in the Premier League. You think of, you think of maybe Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, Harry Kane, these sort of five or six players who we always rate as some of the best. So he will make a huge difference. And don't forget, Liverpool finished third last season with no centre-backs, really. So it was actually a really good achievement in the end. Now... Man City and Man City, you know, Liverpool are the one team who've broken their spell up, if you like, uh, once in the last sort of four or five years. Now, it will be a lot to do that again. And it took a lot for Liverpool to win the title and take them so close. We're talking almost going a season, losing one game, the year after losing three games. I mean, it was unbelievable consistency. But I think right now, on the back of, of City, what you think they still may do in the next week, uh, as well, who knows with, with Harry Kane? I think it'd be really difficult to stop them if Harry Kane went there. If Harry Kane doesn't go there and they don't have that recognised striker, you just spoke about Torres. I think it is much more of a fight. I think Chelsea are involved now, and I certainly think Liverpool are involved. Do you think you've got City there? Do you think that's with or without Kane? 
Or do they have to sign Harry Kane for you to think they, they'll be pipping everybody else? No, I think you've still got to go with Manchester City at this point just because of what they've done in the last few years. And Chelsea have still got to prove themselves. Manchester United have got to prove themselves. Liverpool have got to prove they can get back to that level they were before. We know City have been at a level, such a high level for so many years. There's nothing to tell us that they won't get to that level. There is that question of Aguero going and not being replaced. But they have got lots of contributors to goals, lots of 10s and 15s mm. and 17s that can just chip away at getting goals. You know, they, do they necessarily need a 25-30 goal striker? Well, they didn't really have a great role last season, no. being totally honest. They didn't really play. I mean, that was, you know, in some ways last season was, was Pep's perfect way of playing. What he's always talked about, having a team of midfielders. That's what it felt mm. like watching them, wasn't it? They didn't really have that recognised striker. But I think if you're Man City, I think if you're Pep Guardiola, you'll still want a top centre-forward in that team. So they agree on who's going to win it. They also agree on the names in the top four, but not the order. Both have gone with Chelsea as runners-up, but Gary thinks Manchester United will edge Liverpool. And surprise, surprise. Jamie thinks Liverpool will edge <laughs> Manchester United. Why will Manchester United finish above Liverpool, Gary? I just think they've got a better squad. Uh, I think Liverpool have got a better first eleven, no doubt. Uh, but you know Liverpool, with a couple of injuries, do have that drop in level be below that. Whereas Manchester United, I don't think, have that drop in level in any real position. You could argue Harry Maguire, but with Varane coming in now, I still think Manchester United, if you know Greenwood's not playing, it's Rashford, it's Martial, it's Cavani. There's still loads of players in the, each different position. In midfield, Pogba, Fernandes, Van der Beek. Matic, McTominay, Fred, they've got six players in midfield. So they could lose players, they could lose two players in each position. And I still think they'd be really strong. You know, Bay, if they lost two centre-halves, they've still got Bay and Lindelof or Varane, Maguire. They've got a good pool of, of centre-backs. I think they've got a strong squad and it's just better than Liverpool's and it will deal with injuries better than Liverpool's. I keep hearing you, Jamie, say that Manchester United shouldn't shy away of, of talk of winning the title. But you think they're fourth best. Why are you smirking? <laughs> smirk. Well... <laughs> I actually think, I've said it before, I don't need, uh, mean to be distracted, I think the managers of the other teams are maybe really, you know, they've, they've got that pedigree of, of top clubs, you know, winning Champions League, so those three managers. So I think managers do make a huge difference. I've said this for, for a long time in terms of the numbers in Manchester United's squad, uh, even going back to when Liverpool were challenging for the league, the, certainly attacking options off the bench maybe compared to Liverpool. But I think Liverpool are a better team. I think they have a better manager. I think for actually only finishing probably six points behind Manchester United last season, but, but having no centre-backs for, for most of the season. Uh, and I think maybe Liverpool are going under the radar with a lot of people, maybe myself included, that were actually forgetting how good they were for a couple of years, really. And it's now back. Salah, Mane, fresh over the summer first, some of they've had. So I think a lot of Liverpool supporters are quite happy that no one's actually tipping them to really push Manchester City when you actually consider what this team has already achieved over the last few years. Well, moving on to overachievers. West Ham, you could probably put in that category last season, finishing sixth. Uh, Jamie's spoken about Brighton already, how impressed he's been with them. But, Gary, you've gone for Rafa Benitez's Everton, who've made a, yeah. a pretty good start. I, I've been clear, I don't quite like the idea of, of the ex-Liverpool legend manager going to, uh, to Goodison Park. Many Evertonians don't. But I've got no doubts about what he'll do as a performance. And I think he will make them have their best season for a long time. I think they could do what West Ham, Leicester did last season and get up to that fifth sixth position. I think Everton have been striving to get close and challenge the Champions League. He'll get a lot of good results for them and I think that's started already. Why were you so critical of Rafa then last season at Newcastle if you rate him so highly now? I wasn't critical of him at Newcastle. You're one of those people who sort of grabs part of an argument, plays it the way in which you want, <laughs> you know, sticks it in your little mail online column or whatever it is, and, that, and before you know it, it's grown into a rumour that doesn't exist. It's unbelievable the misinformation that exists in society nowadays. Most of it comes from him. 
Oh, this is one of Gary's big bugbears oh, revealed like, tonight on Monday Night Football. Let's move it on. Let's move it on. Uh, we, we're going soft because we, we wanted to talk about who, who they thought was going down this season, but they weren't prepared to, to talk about that. No. So we've said underachievers. Who's going to potentially struggle? Well, Jamie's talked about his concerns about Manchester United. We're not suggesting that... What does that mean? What it means that I actually, think, I actually think Manchester United have got a squad capable certainly, of, of really challenging, really pushing for the title. We've both said they'll... You, you've said they'll finish third. I've said they'll finish fourth. <laughs> I think that's underachieving with the squad that they've got. You've just, named, you've just rattled off about 20 names who they've got. Every one of them is worth £50 million, But you still think they could finish in fourth and be a better team than last season? Not third, I said. I know, but earlier on you said fourth. It, 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 it's how they finish third. <laughs> what, what, what's that mean? How, se- how? Se- second 25 points behind the, the leaders is a waste of time. But if they're third and they finish six points behind, they've been a challenge right to the end, that would still be progressive. The point is, I suppose, you could get 90 points, couldn't you, and still finish in third place. I, I think Manchester United have got a squad. They should be thinking to challenge for the title. I mean, um, the, money, the money they spend. Arsenal, what's a, what does underachievement look like for, for Arsenal? Look, I think they've got a good young coach. I think that at the moment, I just worry about the sort of makeup of the squad. It doesn't feel right. That's not just because of the first two games. It's just, there's something just not right. They've got a mixture of young players that you can imagine are committed, desperate to do well, got talent. And then I think about sort of the guidance that I got as a young player at Manchester United from unbelievable senior players in that dressing room. I think Roy Keane mentioned it yesterday. And I don't think they've got the right direction around them and right structure. You know, they've got a young coach as well who obviously has got a massive job in front of him. But I just think that there's something missing there that will give those young players that ability to go and achieve what they want. I, I, something's not right. And it could be a little bit messy and scabby. It could be a horrible little season. I don't know. Uh, top scorers. Let's talk about some individuals in the Premier League. Jamie's staying true to Mo Salah. And uh, Gary thinks Romelu Lukaku will continue his impressive start. Could be Salah, could be Lukaku, could be Kane. And yeah. to be fair, you'd be guessing if you chose between the three of them. Four, you know, it's... Young talent, Emile Smith-Rowe. Jamie? I'm a, I'm a massive fan. Loved watching him last season. I think he's been outstanding, even though Arsenal made such a poor start to the season. But he, he, he was arguably the best player on the pitch in the, the Friday night football at Brentford. I think even some of his touches yesterday, when he took a ball in the second half and went on a little run, the way he moves with the ball, and very rarely do I see any player, even the top players, be able to receive the ball on, on the back foot on both sides. So he, he can take it with his left, then go with his right and, and vice versa. And I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of his. Why are you laughing at <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about Gary's chance to spread in misinformation about what Jamie said last season about Kai Havertz. But he fancies Kai Havertz. <laughs> he, didn't think he, was, he didn't think he was anywhere near... Should, this signed, true? He wasn't anywhere near the money, etc, etc. I have to think Havertz... Everything's saved. It's, it's, in, it's in the archive. I actually think Havertz has gone up a level, but I also think he's in third gear. I think he'll go up to fourth gear, and I think he'll actually go to fifth gear, and I think he could become an absolutely great player. I think he's got that... When he, when he really fills out into his body, and he will do, and he'll get stronger and more powerful, he's already a great runner with the ball. I think when he gets more confidence, more belief, in two years' time, I think we could be seeing someone who's absolutely there. Remember what Chelsea did with Eden Hazard? He went from here to here to here, and I think that's what Havertz will do. Can I just confirm you don't disagree with, with anything that you've just said there? No, fine. OK, one to watch. Gary's gone for Paul Pogba. Silence, silence, silence for him. Not getting involved. Oh, no, he hasn't gone for Paul Pogba. <laughs> I have the last three seasons. I'm intrigued to know. Look, he still intrigues me, Paul Pogba, to see whether he can become the best player in this league. But Varane, Varane, I want to see how Varane does for Manchester United. I think every United fan is. 
They're, in, they're intrigued to know Alvaran, this great player, World Cup winner, numerous champions. Why, why is leagues. he being held back? Thomas Tuchel said of Lukaku on Sunday, we bought him to play, he plays. I think just letting him have a look at it. I think the confidence that he's got in Maguire Lindelof, thinking he probably could go to Southampton and win that game with, with, with the team that he had. And just letting him have a look at the Premier League, not throwing him in too early. I, I do think, though, for me, you know, the intrigue of... He's been one of the best centre-back pairings in world football for the last five, six years with Ramos. To see how we can build a partnership with Maguire is, I think, for me takes Paul Pogba off the one to watch. And Paul Pogba is just for me, is he going to go on and take Manchester United to a title? Is he going to go and, he started the season well, but is he going to go on and become the best player in the Premier League? Which I think he's got in him to do. And that's why I always say one to watch. What could Jadon Sancho do for Manchester United? I think he could be a superstar, I really do. I think you look at his numbers in, in German football, a top leagues at a top club. Uh, at Borussia Dortmund, they've been after him for a while. And, and Gary's mentioned this numerous times, that they need that player on that right side. At times, actually, I think he's, he's as good on the left when you look at his stats at Dortmund. And uh, as I said, you're getting more superstar from the Bundesliga and you're getting a guy who's come in and won four Champions Leagues and he still wants them in the top four. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, seven out of ten, Gary? Show, yeah. yeah. <laughs> First show of the season, second like high six or seven. Yeah. Honestly, just don't, like his career, all six, six, six or seven out of ten. First Monday night football season, you're very happy with that. It was a great night for the Hammers and for Mikhail Antonio. <laughs> and nobody puts Gary in the corner. <laughs> Bye from us. Sky Sports Premier League. Feel it all. this episode please leave us a review on iTunes has opened the London 2012 Paralympic Games. Thousands of elite athletes last night filled the Olympic Stadium to witness a science-themed spectacular fireworks, music and dancing. Previous games have seen athletes representing Paralympics GB pushing themselves to the limit. Two golds, three silvers, two bronze. It's turning into a super Saturday for Paralympics GB on day three of the Games. So far, four golds. Sarah Storey's won her second of the Games in the velodrome. She won the 500 metres time trial to add to her gold in the individual pursuit on the opening day. And this year, Tokyo 2020 is no different, with a record number of female athletes selected. 100 women are among the 227 strong team, up by 4% on the group who went to Rio. Paralympians are true athletes and I think what these games have shown is just how you know, talented they are, how competitive it is um, and how exciting. I mean, the British public love great sport and they've had the last 11 days really great sport and no, no greater than when Dave crossed the line today to win the marathon, you know, uh, an exciting race for Shelley too, you know, fantastic competition. Um, yeah, I think the British public are engaged and will want to see more of it. Along with their male counterparts, they collectively brought home 147 medals and 64 of them were gold, which meant they finished second in the medals table behind China. New heroes have been created overnight. 
disabled sport has never before attracted such crowds, but will perceptions of disability change for good, or will the opportunity be lost as the Paralympics draw to a close? Ollie Hind was among those to contribute to the medal haul. Hello everybody, my name is Oliver Hines. Um, I'm a Paralympic swimmer. I've competed at two Paralympic Games. My first one being in London 2012, where I won a medal of each colour. And then my second was in Rio um, five years ago, uh, where I won two golds and a silver medal. He made a difficult decision not to go to Tokyo. Why? Well, a change to his classification meant he would have had to compete against more able-bodied swimmers. So how does the classification system work? Is it fair or are more categories required? Welcome to the Sky News Daily Podcast with me, Dermot Murnahan, as we examine the story beyond the headlines. The International Paralympic Committee describes classification as the cornerstone of the Paralympic movement. It determines which athletes are eligible to compete in a sport and how they're grouped together in competition. The aim? To minimise the impact of impairment on performance. But what if you seem to tread the boundary between categories? Is there a perfect solution? Well, we'll discuss more on that later on on the podcast, but first I want to bring you Ollie Hines' story. The Paralympic swimmer represented Great Britain at London 2012, taking home a medal of each colour and followed up with two golds in Rio four years later. My colleague Lewis Mason, a sports reporter on our Sky News radio team, had a chat with Ollie over Zoom before the Tokyo Games got underway. I reflect on my swimming career with so many great memories. It's, it's kind of hard to, to pick out what would be like the top memories because everything's been, been so great. I've been so fortunate to have experienced the things that I have. Obviously competing in the home games was an absolute dream come true and, and something that's special for every athlete. So I feel so fortunate to have experienced that in my career. And of course, winning medals there made it even more special. And then obviously Rio 2016, for me, as a sw in swimming perspective, was the best swimming performance that I've ever delivered. So that was a really special time. And yeah, just look back with, with such great memories. A strange one going into Tokyo then. What are your thoughts and feelings? Because we'll, we'll come to the decision that you've had to make for this Games, but it must be a bit of a mixed bag excitement, but kind of almost tinged with sadness that you're not going to be there. Yeah, it's a funny one. I think for me, it's going to be very different. Uh, I think there's no no kind of getting away from that. Obviously, the last two Paralympic Games I've, I've been involved in. And then the Games before that, the 2008 Beijing Paralympics, um, I was actually out there watching my brother compete. I don't like to give him too much credit, but I think that was kind of what, what inspired me to want to follow that path and to kind of go for this career and, and try and represent my country, really. But I'm a little bit sad that I'm, I'm not out there with the team, you know, I'm not going to lie. But like I say, sports changed my life and... You know, it's given me so many opportunities and such a purpose to my life and a drive. Um, I'm just really looking forward to um, just to watching the guys compete. And on the team, there's a lot of faces that we're used to and kind of veterans. And then there's a lot of new guys on the team as well. They soon got on to the issue of classification. 
Can you just talk us through how it works and also how it gave you that difficult decision th- this year? So essentially, the classification system in, in para sport, not just in para swimming, is to enable that you're competing against people with similar impairment levels. So in swimming, the physical impairment range is from S1 being the most severely impaired to S10 being the, the least impaired. So that's the 1 to 10 for physical classifications. And then 11 to 13 for visual impairment in similar kind of sliding scale, 11 being completely blind and then kind of 12 a little bit less severe and then 13 again a little bit less severe. Um, and then S14 is for intellectual impairments. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of, of the classification system. And yeah, obviously it's a massive part of para sport. For myself, I kind of fell on, you know, the... I don't want to say negative side, but the the unfortunate side of of that where I was competing as an SH swimmer for the majority of my career um, since before. Well, I can remember only swimming as an SH swimmer, really, to be honest. And then in 2018, unfortunately, I was moved to an S9 category. Um, So I was swimming against less impaired swimmers, which obviously was, was really difficult for me to to kind of deal with and, and come to terms with, which ultimately led me to to take the decision to step back. How does that work? How does that decision get made from you and from your disability? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult because, to be honest, it's never something that I ever imagined would happen. My condition, neuromuscular myopathy, is a form of muscular dystrophy, so it's actually progressive, ironically, so it, it gets worse. But, yeah it's just the classification system and of course decisions need to be made and kind of lines drawn you know I've been in para sport for a long time but yeah I'll never fully understand or accept the decision I don't think but you know for my mental well-being again which which came into play when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my future and and whether I was going to stay in in the sport competing you know it's something that, that I've got to kind of take a step back from really. Interest in Paralympic sport has grown in recent years, but what's boosted its popularity? Maybe London 2012, especially in this country, made people take an even bigger look at the Paralympics. And we've seen that this year they're expecting to break broadcast viewing records because there's so many broadcasters who have taken the Games and are going to be showing it in one way or another. That's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, London 2012, like you say, it was... It was kind of that turning point for para sport where it wasn't kind of people with with disabilities taking part in sport. It was people with disabilities overcoming their impairments and their adversities to achieve great things in sport and really push themselves to be the best that they can be. So, yeah, I think it it reflects great that kind of broadcasting is going to be be all over the place and, and there's going to be so many outlets for people to kind of follow para sport. Hi, I'm Rachel Morris. I'm a Paralympic athlete with a bit of a difference. I've got a gold medal in hand cycling in road racing and I've also got a gold medal in para rowing. Um, Most athletes tend to stay in one sport and I can understand why as well. Rachel Morris is a three-time Paralympian and like Ollie, she worried that classification rules would put her at a disadvantage in the Games. So she decided to take matters into her own hands and retrain in an entirely different sport. I've gone around and started in sailing and then um, needed a bit more excitement physically for me and started into um, hand cycling. Um, 
qualified for Beijing as a, a fast track athlete um, and I qualified for uh, Rio, so 2016, and came away with a gold medal again um, in second sport, which is unusual. Um, but it's given me so many exciting opportunities and so many sort of uh, different ways of thinking about things as well. Um, classification is about trying to, um, I guess, it, it's about trying to make an even playing field really as much as you can but when you think that anybody just stood next to each other you and I stood next to each other able-bodied we're going to be different we're going to have different strengths different weaknesses and it's about trying to make that yeah as fair as possible between the two of us but yes different different, different disabilities even no amputation on a somebody at a, at a higher level um both below knee amputations potentially have really different um, effects on somebody so and you're never going to get 100 people that are amputated at exactly the same level unless we start saying amputations have to be done at a certain level internationally it definitely I definitely was struggling against it because I was falling on the new category system that came in with hand cycling I was I was that one that was really weak in the next category up um, and there was no way that I was competitive in that next category and so then that's also wrong really isn't it in, or in my head it's kind of wrong as well because I can't compete however strong I get I'm never going to be able to compete with someone who can nearly be at the top of that category. Um, I'd, like to, I'd love to see standardised sort of uh, I, I think sharing of medical information as well because the way that information is written could depend on the relationship and the way that that patient has worked with that doctor or the way that you know if you're um, a bit like if you get a good report from a teacher that you've got on well with that potentially can have effect on how that report's written um, certain standardizing of scans certain it just that that's what it has to be done so that it can't be quibbled it can't be said differently um, you know, there are always going to be grey areas in parasport. There always are. I don't fit in a box because of my disability. It doesn't fit. So, you know, I know that that's also going to be a problem. Um, you're never going to get it standardised as such, but there are a lot of things that we could do. And also just discussions. I think just being a bit more open again about saying, actually, this is the same with drugs cheating. You know, this is really serious and it has a massive impact on you, but also on the next athlete and you know, the future of your sport. Coming up, is there a perfect solution to the classification system? What you need, if you go through the process, it's easier to understand maybe that you need a medical information from a doctor saying that you have some form of disability, right? Peter Erickson, formerly the head coach of the Olympic and Paralympic programs for both British Athletics and Athletics Canada, knows all about classification and how it works. And then when you're into the sport, whatever sport it is, you get a national classification, which means that we have in, in the UK national classifiers that will look over the medical records they look at the functional review, like range of motion, muscle strength, but that only helps you nationally. Then you have to do the same thing internationally. This has become more of a science. In the past, it was uh, more of a one person looking at an athlete and, and put you into a class. 
I think the system can be improved because that it's this review they go through, they have one competition to look at you. I think it has to be over a longer period of time before you can become confirmed. I suppose that slightly addresses this question, which is there are suspicions uh, and sometimes by your other by your other um, competitors um, that, you know, you you might have gamed the system. Someone might be gaming the system and, uh, you know, kind of overplaying a disability or underplaying um, an ability to get into uh, an easier classification. Sure. I mean, there is always cheaters in the sport. But to me, cheating in classification is equal to using drugs in sport. It's not acceptable. And uh, it's very hard. I mean, even if you tried to, I don't think you can affect the outcome of the classification uh, by talking to classifiers, whoever it is, because you really don't know them. But you can always cheat. But in the end of the day, that comes true, right? When you go to the event. And if I would see an athlete that I know is trying to cheat the system, I would tell the head classifier that. But you can't, um, you can't accept cheating, period. And Peter, I mean, given the myriad forms of disability, mental, physical, I mean, are there some athletes who actually don't really fit into any category rather than their own? And, you know, they're competing against people they shouldn't be competing against. Yeah, it, it could happen. I, I think that has been minimized quite a lot. Because right now, right, if you look at the classification, it's really three groups of uh, athletes that get classified. Visual impairment, there are three classes in that. Uh, intellectual impairments and physical impairments, right? And every, uh, let's say, physical impairment have several subgroups, and every, every, every subgroup has subgroups as well, depending on function. So which make it even more uh, confusing for the public to understand. Um, but I, I don't think people are getting classified into uh, groups they don't belong to. I mean, you, there was examples in, um, I can't remember if it was 2004 or 2000, where the Spanish basketball team, the intellectual impairment actually was not intellectually impaired. I don't think today that's, that can happen. And do you think it is as fair as it, c it can get, or are we just going to wrestle with these issues forevermore? By classification, as I said, if you take a group, uh, let's say uh, the 30 classes, right? And it's athletes with coordination impairments from conditions such as cerebral palsy or acquired brain injuries. There is a whole range of function within the class. So, you know, the one that is least disabled within the class has the biggest potential. But in, and you can never shrink it down and say, this is only for cerebral palsy affecting these limbs. That, if you do that, you have to have 800 classes or more and it won't work. So it's a fluctuation in between. And just a last thought uh, more broadly on the, the spectacle of the Paralympics and what went before, um, you know, how well the Japanese did been managing to stage uh, Tokyo 2020 and how well we hope they're going to do with the Paralympics. I, as I as say as a viewer, I just can't wait. Well, I mean, you know, they're really well organized. I mean, the facility seems to be top notch. The, 
especially for me looking at track it's a super fast track so you will see a lot of world records happening in every event and i don't expect it to be any flaws in the system they know what they're doing they, i even know the people in the organizing committee and they're top notch so i think we will see uh a very good competition and i think the gb team which i'm looking for since i was uh, the leader of that before i think they will smash it sky news approached the international paralympics committee about this podcast on their website they say that Classification aims to minimise the impact of the impairment on athletes' performance so that the sporting excellence determines which athlete or team is ultimately victorious. Ensuring that athletes are classified prior to competing is crucial to safeguarding the integrity and credibility of the competition. And that's it until next time. My thanks to our guests and to you for listening to the Sky News Daily Podcast hosted by me, Dermot Manning. This edition was produced by Emma Ray Woodhouse and Annie Joyce, along with Rhys Denton. You can listen to more episodes like this one where you found this podcast, and we'd love a review while you're there. The climate crisis can be an overwhelming and emotional conversation. We will not let you get away with this. But it isn't just about cutting carbon emissions or reporting on disasters. On Sky News Climatecast, we'll examine the big issues in depth with scientists, policymakers and activists. Every week, we'll highlight how small changes can make a big difference as we look for solutions to climate change problems. Sky News Climatecast. Listen, follow, subscribe. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.